0: morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call to us. And uh, Leanne is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, concern about customer services moving from Cashel Post Office to the Super Value Outlet in the town and also frustration in Cashel as work restarted on the Boher Clock roundabout. A listener tells us that Irish roads are dangerous and little is being done to make them safe tip today's village tour stops off at lovely Drumineer today. We'll have live um, broadcasting from that in the second hour of the programme. Sergeant Carol O'Leary, Will join us for this week's Garda Review. We've hidden histories with uh, Dr. Conor Reedy and we continue to showcase Tipperary's women in business. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 83 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at the front pages of some of your newspapers and right across the newspapers today, as you can imagine, coverage of the death of John Bruton and uh, tributes. Uh, being paid uh, across the political spectrum uh, to uh, former Taoiseach John Button who uh, died after uh, a long illness aged just 76 uh, Also on the Irish Times front page today, completion of an independent review into spinal surgeries at Temple Street Children's Hospital has been delayed after 17 additional cases of concern were identified, can you believe? The Irish Daily Mail and uh, yet another remarkable story uh, about University Hospital Limerick. Uh, Seemingly security staff were called to move an elderly patient with dementia from his bed at 4am in scenes described as wrong, sickening and upsetting at the most overcrowded hospital in the country. University Hospital Limerick where a new high of 138 patients on trolleys was reported uh, yesterday has now sincerely apologised for the incident uh, last weekend and needless to say it comes as Nursing unions uh, warn that overcrowding in hospitals has just reached incredibly dangerous levels at this point. The the Irish Examiner and uh, their main story today, Gardaí are poised to launch a murder investigation following the discovery of a man who is suspected uh, was beaten uh, to death in his sheltered uh, housing accommodation in County Cork. The Independent, again dominated by a picture of the late John Bruton, and uh, their lead story, people in Dublin are paying up to €50 Euro more for a GP appointment than those elsewhere. And uh, there's a significant uh, gap in what patients pay for a standard GP appointment, depending on where they are in the country. So that's a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. If you'd like to uh, comment on any of that. Again, we'd love to hear from you. double three, double one. Now, the plan to move of Cashel Post Office for all customer service f- uh, from its position on Main Street to the local Super Value Outlet is one that has left people uh, concerned, to say the least. And many are wondering how this will work and if jobs will be affected. Well, a former county councillor and a casual man, Tom Wood, joins me now. Good morning to you, Tom.
1: Good morning, Fran, from a sunny Cashier. Well,
0: I'm delighted to hear it, Tom. And you, 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 were, you were first out of the traps to let us know about this yesterday, Tom. How did you find out?
1: Yeah, well, I suppose, Fran to just go back into the history of the post office, first of all, yeah. uh, the, po- the post office building itself, which is a very unique structure built in the 1930s. Uh, it's a protected structure, of course. So for nearly 90 years, it has served the people well as our post office here in Cashel. Uh, people will recall it as the red brick building shaped like a box uh, with, with limestone, etc. As I said, unique for the 1930s. Now, Uh, In the last number of years, the the interior and exterior of the post office uh, was deteriorating, a lot of damp and a lot of mould on the inside. So I'd been on to post at national level because they had responsibility for the maintenance of the building and, as I said, a protected structure, uh, to, to, to do some work to it. They had neglected it for years. So only there early this time last year, I suppose, they actually did some work on the interior. The damp was removed and the painting was done on the windows, etc., on the outside. And uh, I was informed at that stage by the public affairs manager that further work was to be done that was last year and in fact he mentioned the relocation of the counter even inside in the, in the building. So of course nothing happened and then in recent weeks we, we were aware that the present manager who's done wonderful work uh, serving the public here with his staff here in yeah. Cashel over the years, John Morrissey, was retiring in March. So again I continue to correspond with the public affairs manager and uh, I was kind of worried the fact that this work wasn't being carried out. But anyway, not surprised then, yesterday I went and I received a message from him to say yes we are on the move in Cashel a new postmaster has just been appointed and we will relocate to SuperValu where we will have a great post office unit close to the front of the store great car parking and access etc The date fixed for the move is March the 31st. Our male colleagues, who currently occupy a large part of the premises, that's the post office now, will remain in situ. And uh, it's all part, Fran, we we know it's happening all over the Mm. country. They call it partnering with retail outlets. So basically the post office, the services that are there to the public will be transferred. Now the only problem I have with it is what are they going to do with the existing Of
0: buildings? course, yeah.
1: We don't want to see... And the is there any
0: indication of that, Tom?
1: Well, as he said, the postal services, that would be starting and whatever that goes mm, on in yeah. part of the building. And you know when post is collected from the boxes around town, etc., that will continue there. Uh, the the unpost truck will come every evening and collect whatever mail is there and take it, I think, to Port Leash. That will happen. But, of course, the post office itself, the the front part of the building that we're we're used to, will be closed. And because of the fact that it has been neglected for so many years, that's the concern. Now, on the opposite side of it, people will be happy, I'm sure, because in in many other towns, the post office services have moved outside of the town Mm. centre. Mm. At least in this instance, they're being retained in the town centre. And, and, I mean, the footfall in the post office, even though people now are online, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, the footfall in the Cashel Post Office is probably one of the highest of yeah, any I, I in the town. I often see queues
0: coming out the door there, Tom. You have queues there. I'm yeah. how will that work then in a busy supermarket?
1: Well, that's the question. I'm sure that people from Unpost, etc., and whoever the new manager is, Have have sussed that out. And as he said, uh, there's ample space there, there's ample car parking. I do know that Super Value Car Park is always full as it is. But of course, many of those might already be going down to the post office (laughs) anyway,
2: Frank. Maybe so, maybe so. So
1: so the bottom line basically is right, it's happening. Uh, I mean, we know that we have no postmasters for, anymore at this stage. Yeah. I think only 5% of post offices in the country have, still have a postmaster. You have managers there now. They're contracted out. And, and that's what's happening in this instance. So just for the public to be aware that this is to happen now uh, and be in situ by the 31st mm-hmm. of March. So that, that's the concern. And naturally, I'll be raising it. The fact that they neglected it for so long when it was such a busy office. The fact that they said last year that they were actually going to be doing work internally, including relocating the, the counter because when you're in the post office ran in Cashel nothing changed since the 1930s yeah. and there's a lovely partition there which lasts in it uh, behind the counter itself all they had to do there if they wanted extra space at any time in the post office in Cashel was to take that out and then you had a, a sizable area behind it and then move the counter further in that direction but um, it yeah. seems that their plans on post have, 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 have a plan they're looking again of course to the future people on online etc etc but as you said footfall in cashel post office has been massive and continues to be and as i said great credit to the outgoing uh, manager and to his staff now i do understand that i heard last night and hopefully it's true that all the existing staff who wish to transfer to the new location that they will be transferring as well
0: interesting but do do i get the impression from you tom that you're not surprised by this news oh i'm not
1: surprised yeah. because i've been concerned for the last 12 months as i say when i've been in contact with this gentleman in the public affairs manager i've had a lot of correspondence when? with him over over the in fact only recently uh, when the matter came up and and, he, and you know he he answered me and he said that the manager is retiring but that doesn't necessarily mean anything other than a new contractor taking over the current premises. Mm. And then only about three weeks ago, he says, no need for any concern, Tom. This is standard. When someone applies for a post office contract, they may well propose partnering with a retail outlet or improve the location or stay where the post office currently is. So they're the options the new person who wants to take on the job has.
0: The only fear that I would have is, uh, just as you know, a couple of weeks ago, a similar story in in Tipperary Town, eventually the the services will move to to some sort of an outlet there as well. And again, they'll retain that back portion there for for parcels. But is it not inevitable, Tom, that with two towns so close together, there may be just one outlet for parcels eventually, is that?
1: Well, well, I mean, Fran, when you think about it, here in Cashel Town, you know the post boxes that are around the town itself in top of John Street there sure, was one yeah. there, and here in the Palace Wall and the Main Street and Ladies Well Street over on Clock Corner, mm. some of those are still being collected on a daily basis. Mm. And a lot of people use them, but I can visualise. I mean, in the next decade, I presume on Postle, we're already planning that you'll have little or, or no, mm. we'll say, footfall in, in any post office or post office post office service centre in in, in the next 10 to 20 years because naturally they'll expect that our generation will be gone, <laughs> yeah, and sure. and the, the yeah. plastic generation will be will be in, and that'll be it. Like mm. so. They, yeah, they, they, I saw
0: online do... last night uh, some of the response from the people. Was kind of mixed response. Now, in fairness, some people were were pro the idea of what's happening. Other people are making the point. Look, the banks have gone off the main street now, yeah. here we have the post office uh, yeah. out that gone. It, it, yeah. Well, all
1: yeah. I, all I'd say to the people, Fran, is look, we still have the services, right? Yeah. We'll have a new management. We'll have probably the same staff that have been very good over the years here in the post office in Cashel. We have all of that. We have very good staff in super value here itself. So it's up to us to make the benefit of still having a counter service. That's the concern. We have a counter service still, but the fact that it's still in the town centre—if it moved out of the town centre, all that footfall for all other businesses in town would be gone.
0: Yeah, that's, and, that's what happened in so, Thurles, of course. Very yeah. So to think of
1: that—that—that's the positive end of it. But also, don't just give up and say, "Oh, it's as great as happening." Get out of the post office. The post office building is a very special building. It's in—it's in a very special location. It has a, a very interesting history. Uh, mm. and, and as I said, there is. An, there was no reason why it couldn't be retained there. But th- that hasn't happened, and mm. we just have to live with what we have for the future.
0: Yes, and the, the harp plaque there, it was you who pointed that out to me. That's right, harp the harp
1: plaques, plaque. That's, yeah. that's one of the most I- historical items on, on, on any post office buildings in the country, and it's right over the front door. So, you know, the fact that they said is services that are inside for the actual mail itself is going to continue in some part of the building. I would much prefer to see in the future now that maybe a building like that would be taken over and perhaps used as some type of part of the heritage centre of the town or something of that nature because the building itself has a history and, and, uh, and as I said was, was unique for the time, for the 1930s. Imagine living in a town like Cashel, Fran, in the 1930s mm, when, mm. when you hardly had a job and most people were leaving to go to England and elsewhere, to see a building like that being constructed back at that time and likewise we had the hospital being built at the time, Our ladies' Hospital we had housing estates like Cattlebury and Abbeyside and McCann Street. Huge development went on in the 1930s, early 40s that we don't realise. Mm. You know, it's only when you walk around slowly around the streets and look and stand and, and, and just look at the dates of particular structures, etc., then you realise that. It, back in the 30s there was wonderful yeah. construction work done not just in Cashel but throughout the whole country and, and,
0: and this was all done when we had nothing Tom when we had nothing <laughs> yeah now there's
1: stuff. one final a, a, yes. one, a little humorous piece <laughs> I was talking to a friend last night and we all know what happened in Parky Cove down in, yes. in Cork and of course <laughs> now we're told that <laughs> our post office in Cashel now listen <laughs> Fran it's going to be super value Cashel on <laughs> fish
0: oh there's always a wag around Cashel uh, Tom, too, right? thanks very much. Good morning, Tom. Thank I yeah, just ran, as yes. you said
1: there a moment ago <laughs> in your introduction, the roundabout has already gone on Borglock Street. Oh,
0: uh, listen. I walked
1: up, up the street on Tuesday morning half past eight I thought it was the 1st of April. Oh,
0: uh, Lord. When how, I looked, how embarrassing. What
1: was only being put in place was being demolished and everybody was telling people in the road section there are problems and problems and problems uh-huh. and it's dangerous and the answer I always got back up to recently was no we're very happy with it uh, we're doing it according to the plans and the guidelines laid down by the department Oh my! and God. that's what we get now costing thousands to put it in place and now thousands to, to 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 remove it
0: all. Well, I'm going to stay talking about that you know. in just a minute, in fact. Uh, Tom, thanks <laughs> for your time this morning. Thank, thank you, thank okay, you Tom. Bye. Always a pleasure. Thank you, former county councillor and Cashel town activist there, uh, Tom Wood. Let's stick with Cashel, because as Tom said, much to the disbelief of Cashel people works uh, on the roundabout at the junction there, Boer Clock Street and uh, the Green Uh, kicked off again yesterday morning. Let's find out more and let's chat to James Devitt of Devitt's uh, Funeral Directors there on The Green. Good morning to you, James.
3: Good morning, Fran. How are you?
0: Well, you and I spoke about this recently, James, before the current sort of situation. Uh, Would you explain to us, uh, James, what the hell was
3: going on there in in Bordlock Street? Fran, I I suppose to to, to start at the very beginning, this is a good news story for cash. There has been new uh, houses, the first uh, houses built by the county council in 25 years at the site where Vincent O'Connor's was, Vincent O'Connor's shop. And Irish Water came on four weeks, the four weeks of the run-up to Christmas and did the roadworks connecting water and they had to remove asbestos pipes, I'm told, or lead pipes or something. And the four weeks coming up to December, coming up to Christmas, the whole town was chock-a-block, people trying to do business in the town, and it was a, a, a disgrace. Now we're six weeks into building a roundabout, and I went into town yesterday morning at 8 o'clock, and I saw the tarmac crew coming, and I said, maybe there's an end to this. And I went in an hour later to see the concrete roundabout that they had put in being taken out. Now, anyone with a brain would notice a concrete roundabout. It was on a big high curb mm. filled with concrete, it wouldn't work because no, it's just hard enough to get around it for some people in cars yeah. and trucks had no chance. You know, I, I don't know who designed this or who was accountable for it. But to me, they should be at home playing with a Lego set and design mm-hmm. roundabouts like that. It. it, it I, I spoke to John Ryan in the council. I spoke to Councillor Declan Burgess yesterday. They were totally against this. They wanted a painted roundabout on the road that if a truck or a coach or a lorry had to get around it, they would have been able to get around it. But no, somebody decided that we were having a big concrete roundabout and to see it being taken out yesterday, it's a total waste of public money. And
0: and speaking but, uh, of... We- I mean, we're talking about a large sum of money, I would imagine, there, James. Oh, just, these things aren't cheap, um, um,
3: yeah. Fran. But, like, this is we're midway through the 10th week of these roadworks. That's 10 weeks. The, the town has had a stop-go system. It's ridiculous. How this work has taken so long, I can't believe. Now, I did ring Tipperary County Council yesterday. I met two lovely girls on the phone, and I did lodge an objection, and I, my, my, I voiced my complaint. And in fairness, an engineer, he wasn't the roads engineer, no, mm-hmm. but an engineer rang me back, and he said to me that this morning they'd be starting planing the road, and that the tarmac uh, company were, were going tarmac in it, and they would hope to be out of it and have it done and dusted, weather permitting, by Friday. Now, if the weather wasn't suitable, and I don't know the forecast this week isn't great, then it might go on till Monday.
0: Yeah, but but, but but the issues that you're talking about, James, I mean, they should have been identified at design stage, and this would have all been wrapped up in a matter of a few friends, days.
3: Don't talk to me about design stage, <laughs> because they, they put all new footpaths across the green, across the front of the funeral home, and we had consultation, and I objected to the, to the footpaths. The reason I objected to him was we, I need to park the hearse outside the mm-hmm. funeral home at either side of the building at when I have a funeral or when I need to, 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 you know, to bring somebody into the funeral home. Mm. I was told by the engineer that I could park on the footpath, right? Which I have to do because the footpath was to be 15 mil above the road. It turns out it's over 40 mil above the road. So I have to park on level ground when I'm taking out the ambulance stretcher or using a, a coffin trolley for fear to capsize, of I can't have that. When I'm parked on the footpath, then people have to go around the the hearse and the looks, I guess, and the comments, I guess. I try to keep that in parking on the footpath to a minimum. The, the council, the, the, the engineer's solution was to put an uncontrolled pedestrian crossing, which is basically the tip of the footpath, outside Larkspur and one below where the roundabout is. Now, nobody, I have never seen anybody, when they've come along to see the obstruction in front of them, cross the road, go down the far side and cross back again, they go out around the vehicle on the road. If somebody gets knocked down, Fran, who's liable? I know. And I made this point to the engineers, and I got no hearing at all, but I I have requested from the council, in writing that I am entitled to park there, that they have given me a hairspray, or to write on the footpath or something to cover me in case of an accident.
0: But, but I mean, it's just incredibly badly organised, James, you know, and not thought through.
3: Fran, I asked for parking for families and for elderly people at either side of the funeral home. Mm. Between Eli's and the Roundabout, there are four car parking spaces. There are five houses and two apartments competing for those car parking spaces, and myself included. So it's not always possible that there's one of those car parking spaces free. You know, they're trying, I I, I don't know the mentality, the mentality seems to be that we don't want cars, Mm. we don't want vehicles, everybody is to walk, cycle or fly you know, it's ridiculous and even when they have consultation with people, you know, we did object, and I wasn't on my own objecting, we did object to the footpaths and we got no hearing at all
0: And just up the road from you then up near Tesco and that run down to St. Patrick's there, I mean was there any sort of was there anything spoken about or about the? I mean, sure, that's
3: disastrous. It was in cycle lanes, the whole length of the K road,
0: and nobody's and using them
3: that I can see. I anymore. saw a video on social media of two lads cycling down, and they were on the road. That's right, the cycle lanes. Yeah. I mean, it's comical. I don't know where where the, the, the thought process is behind this.
0: Anyway, you, do you think we're going to be wrapped up within what? Within a week? Uh, that's
3: oh, nice Well, then. Fran, if we go into the 11th week, it'll be absolutely unreal. You know, the disruption to businesses, the disruption to people trying to get their kids to school and back, the disruption to just people going about their normal life. Yeah. The, the funerals
0: must be seriously disrupted there as well, aren't they?
3: It's, it's a major, major problem. And I mean, I, I kind of bit my lip all along until I went in yesterday morning and saw the roundabout being dug out and I said, this is it. This is the last straw. Yeah. And like nobody accountable and it's the waste of taxpayers' money. Like what did what have these roadworks cost since the first week of December? Thousands Ten of weeks thousands. Of Tens of thousands. I'd say, I'd say millions, France. It's like it wouldn't the, the manpower that was there, the machinery that was there, you know. It, I, I, I I'd like to think what it cost.
0: Yeah, and of course and the, nobody, that,
3: nobody accountable, Frank.
0: And that development was on hold there for quite a while as well, wasn't it? The whole development was.
3: Well, as, as far as I know, it was because of all this. Uh, apparently, the builder over there is pulling his hair out.
0: I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, I feel
3: sorry for him too.
0: And and then, I'm sure you're familiar with the other roundabout at the top of Fire Street, um, with the new development there, where the roundabout is almost inside in the, in the <laughs> development. I mean, who came up with that for God's sake, James?
3: Most people just, they just ignore the roundabout. They do, yeah. The, they just drive uh, over it, yeah. And it's so far in that if they ignore the roundabout they're driving at the wrong side of the round. I know. It's so far in. it. it and how could
0: a city. truck, I mean, if you had to use the, that roundabout, how could a truck get in and around it, if you know what I mean.
3: But I was told they don't want trucks in the town. And I said, what about deliveries? Let them get smaller trucks. Oh, for God's sake. I mean, That's what I was told, Fran.
0: I I, I, I don't know. Um, do you think that might start to listen to people now and maybe ask some advice? Or...
3: Well, Fran, when they haven't listened to people now, like, I mean, we're in business. Uh, the funeral hundred there since 1978. Yeah. And now I'm parking on a footpath inside a double yellow line if there's an accident I'm going to be roasted
0: God almighty alright James we're putting it out to be already I'm getting a lot of people onto us here saying what a ridiculous well, social situation
3: media is, yesterday when the roundabout was, was being taken yeah. up social media I, I read some of the comments on it yeah. one of them was actually quite funny one of them said that, that he was talking to one of the workers there he's 27 years of age he's hoping to get a pension out of the roundabout <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, Lord.
0: <laughs> and he could well do. He could well do. could well do. James, always good to talk to you. Fine. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thanks, very much. Thanks, James. Thanks Bye you, about man. you Now, that's uh, James Devitt there of that uh, iconic business in Casual uh, Devitt's. Uh, funeral directors Um 938007 the text and WhatsApp is double three double one. Barbara says I'm uh, very sad about the post office in Cashel fantastic service uh, from all of the management and staff there I had to move to Clonmel because of uh, my housing situation but I still travel to Cashel to pick up my carer's allowance anyhow best of luck to all concerned it says here and uh, Super Value is one of the best shops in Ireland says Barbara
5: Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association
6: with Slattery's of Facon, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Facon, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie. I'm
0: glad to be joined by Tipperary Sinn Fein Deputy Martin Brown from Cashel. Good morning to you, Martin. Good morning, Fran. The
7: reception is great. Find out. There's a lot of feedback there.
0: Oh, you're still getting some feedback there, are you, Martin? Yeah. Okay, well, I'll tell no, you...
7: I, I, I'm pulled in on the way up to Dublin, so the reception is a great reader.
0: No no, no problem at all. I presume, Martin, between the roundabout and the post office, your phone has been rather uh, busy, though. Can we start with the post office? Was that a surprise to you, Martin?
7: Uh, it was a surprise, I suppose. Well, I suppose we'd known that uh, the postmaster was retired uh, Fran, mm. and that they were looking out for someone else. They have someone else at this stage. Now, Justice. What we've been told justly by Angus Loughley is that while the post office, the front desk is moving into the super value, that the intention is that the mail part will start using the front of the building as well. Yes. So the building itself is going to be used, to the best of our knowledge, on an ongoing basis by the mail, and the front desk is is that it moved. And look at, it's going to be dead centre of the town and should, should be a big help for people out of the office. You know, the office is there otherwise the post office beside my own office And on Monas, like just the morning, people going up in that rain outside the door.
2: Mm.
7: It should be away with that, hopefully.
0: Well, hopefully so indeed. As some of the concern is, as you say, about the front part of the, uh, the post office then, what will happen with that? But you're saying that will be incorporated into the parcel service there, Martin.
7: Well, that's being told is that the parcel parcel will start using the front of the building as well. I don't know how big, Tom probably would have known how big the back part of the post office is, but the intention is, as far as we're concerned and being told, is that the parcel parcel will start using the front part of the building as well.
0: The other concern Martin, and I read it in um, in your press release, you're saying the staff will retain their jobs. Is that your understanding?
7: Yeah, the staff will retain their jobs. They're there. Look at the staff are there under a postmaster as it is. And their condition, work conditions are staying the same. And that's one thing that we would have brought up with them. But the whole time, and in regards to chip as well, is that staff are protected and that the services are uh, retained inside the centre of the town because of the football. And we don't want to see football leaving the centre of the town
0: yeah, and that that's very important because that has happened in in other towns, and it's uh, an unhappy situation then for for other businesses that depend, I suppose, on on the footfall uh, there. Um, is there any negotiation in stuff like this, Martin? Is there any reason that on post should not sit down with the likes of yourself and local councillors and discuss this ahead of time, or is there any obligation on them to
7: do that? I I suppose there's no obligation, Fran. When the services are being kept in the central town, I suppose, is the main thing. If they're being talked about moved away from the central town, yeah. there should be negotiations, I suppose, to the private business and I don't know what kind of a deal the likes of supermarkets, like uh, Super Value, have with on post. But I, I know from being in Dublin, there is a lot of thin front desks inside in supermarkets and they seem to work, Fran. Mm. I know Torless has been given an example that it's moved away from the centre central town.
0: Yeah, and it certainly has taken foot uh, footfall, footfall out, from out, the out, of town. out of Liberty Square there big time as well. Can I ask you about the other issue, which is the roundabout and what appears to be a ferocious waste of money? Or would you agree with that, uh, Martin?
7: Well, I've always there before a roundabout. Now, it was a painted roundabout there. And again, and I've said it on your program before, about the Dweller Road, Spryor Street junction there. Mm. Now, the roundabout front... We've been in touch with the council yesterday. The actual roundabout isn't being removed. There, it was the centerpiece that was causing the problem, and that was removed. That concrete piece inside in the center of the roundabout. Don't ask me why that was put in. At council, I remember on, several times we talked about roundabouts when I was the council. Is mm. that apparently these designs are done on computer by the engineers and that, and they decide how big a roundabout or what, what you have to get around it. The road, the Actually, the roundabout itself is staying there. That's there. Now, once the road is done, the road will be up level with that. So it's just, I suppose, to mark it out better. The size of it, I don't know why. It seems to be a massive roundabout for no particular reason. Uh, we're trying to get them kind of answers from the council as why it was so big or why it just wasn't the road done and a painted roundabout like Topper, Friar Street uh, and Bank Place. Like that roundabout has worked perfectly. At that uh, spot, mm. I can't see why just the pay of roundabouts hadn't put in in these spaces.
0: Yeah, and uh, I mean, they were. I know that they were advised about this and these issues were, were flagged with them, but it's, it seems that nobody's listening. I'm not sure if you got a chance to hear earlier, but we were speaking to James Devitt about the footpath situation up by the funeral home there and up up towards the green. And again, these issues were flagged with the powers that be, but they were ignored.
7: Yeah, now I only just barely got into James because sure. I was driving and I got yeah. in. And I know James actually said it to me before. Uh, I don't know why. I suppose, I think James said there near the end about they said we want to get fares off road. So it'll be it. But for the likes of James, a business like that, yeah. windows changes being made that affect businesses, the council should have a responsibility and a to come out, sit down and take their concerns into uh, their thought process that they're putting into when they're doing footpaths and that. We all welcome footpaths being done around the town, but if it's affecting businesses like game and that, something must be done and their concerns must be taken into account.
0: Right. Is this something you can bring up even at... At, at the oil level, that there should be some form of consultation, you know. at it, 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 These were flagged before the design well, happened, I, I yeah, suppose. We,
7: yeah. look, we've no bother flagging it up here, but I suppose is in the situation like Cashler and what James is talking about, his county council, we need to uh, get around the table and see why when there's concerns like James and others being raised, that they're not being listened to and it's a pity to have a business there and that someone is raising these kind of concerns and I think I'm right in what I heard James is that his concerns just seem to be ignored. Like That must stop. When people's livelihoods are at risk or business at risk someone at council level where these decisions are made must hold their hand up and say, right we sit down and we listen and we we'll see can we come to a compromise or a solution that doesn't affect People like James has said there.
0: Yeah, because it seemingly he was indicated that the footpath would be X amount high, and it turned out when it was done that it was almost double that. And and yeah. as you can imagine, access is so important to to a business like that. There.
7: Yeah. No, yeah. I'm just. Uh, I don't think that road has been resurfaced, Fran. I think the intention was to resurface all that road. I don't know if the intention is we'll try and find out from the council all the way across the green, coming out to that junction that maybe that's where, that, when this resurfacing comes up. But it seems crazy that James has to worry about parking on a footpath or parking on a slant, as he said, when he takes out a stretcher or when he's bringing in a coffin. like That That should not be happening to any business. or No business person should have to worry about them kind of situations for the sake of someone not listening or someone not sitting down and having a discussion with him.
0: I, have you any concerns about the top of Friar Street there as well, Martin? You know, where the roundabout is almost in in the, 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 the housing development there. I, I don't know how a truck would get around I, that.
7: I see know? that, friend. I, again, we're trying to find out the reason. I have a feeling that at the other side of the road that they're going to do a build-out there, and that, that space on the right-hand side of going out of town won't be as big, but it just seems now, and I don't really go out that way much, and I must, it seems from the time I was out there that it's really gone in, you know, the inside India state, yes. and it doesn't yeah. look good to be honest about it, but there must be some reason why, and it's another example that the council or officials don't come on your show or whatever, and give the actual reason why these things are done the way they are, and let the public, because Once it hits social media, every kind of story comes up that it it would be simple when they're doing these uh, projects or doing these works, that if there is concerns raised, to come on on radio shows like this and let people Mm -hmm. know exactly the reason why it's been done the way it is. And it, it, it lays everybody's fears and everybody knows from the start what's happening and why why it's been done.
0: Yeah, and as you know yourself, sometimes a bit of local knowledge, Martin, is is extremely helpful, you know, rather than some guy on a computer uh, with a piece of software.
7: Exactly. I, Brian, I've always been on your show and I've always argued: it. If you actually communicate with people and tell people
2: yeah.
7: why works are being done or what's happening, you'll get most people who will come with you and they'll understand. It's when there seems to be no reason behind what's happened there at James' place or other things being done that no one the information isn't there and it just catches legs in for no reason. Of course. There is no no reason this day and age why communication from the council cannot be put out there and explain to James or explain to others why they've gone ahead and done what they've done.
0: Right. Could you could you estimate how much money was lost, Martin, in in the chaos around that roundabout up there? Because it seems like just tens of thousands. That Well,
7: know. I suppose if the roundabout is staying there, Fran, it's not going to be a very expensive just taking up the concrete piece that you had in the middle
2: Yeah,
7: and there was a kind of a divide coming into it. It, it shouldn't happen if these things are being designed like we've been told before by the experts on computers and that. There is no reason why you go ahead and you put something down and within a week or two weeks that it has to be taken back up. Someone should be answerable there as to why some kind of mistakes are made. It is taxpayers' money, and someone should be responsible yeah. for the wastage of it.
0: And, and will you look for that, Martin? Will you... We will, yeah.
7: yeah. Like I said, we've always been under the impression that, and we, we have been told at the council level when I am the council, is that these kind of things are done by the experts on computers. They are able to put it in, and this is what the design they come up with. Someone has gotten it seriously wrong there, and needs to explain how much money it has cost now to rectify that roundabout and why the mistakes are made and is there someone responsible for it.
0: All right, Martin, safe journey, and thanks for coming on with me this morning. Okay, thank Frank. Thank you. Thank thank you. Bye-bye to, you now. It's uh, Sinn Féin Deputy Martin Brown uh, speaking to us um, this morning. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven Text and WhatsApp only three three double one double three double one. Mike was on to say, Fran, about footpaths. I'm visually impaired, and I find a lot of slipways and slopes are too sharp an angle as I am trying to make my way around. So that's in from uh, Mike there. Thanks for that, Mike. Uh, back in just a
5: moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association
6: with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the premier county. Slattery'sGarage.ie
5: if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on one
0: seven. Now there are calls for a renewed focus on how to curb road deaths after more tragedy, indeed, to the three young people in Carlow last week. Now we've discussed this on the show, and the reasons are varied and complex, I suppose. But should transport infrastructure Ireland be more involved? In investigating uh, these uh, fatal traffic collisions, uh, well, David joins me now. Good morning to you, David. Hello, friend How are you? Good to talk to you today. I would imagine, yeah. David, you're of that opinion, are you?
8: Well, I mean, the strange thing is, if there is an accident on any road, there should be an investigation carried out on the road, and it should be carried out by um, an engineer who is actually trained just to, to evaluate uh, any. Um, hazards and come up with any solutions to those hazards, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what should happen, right? And there should be an independent inquiry because you can't be expecting the council to check their own work, right? Because they're not going to point out their own faults. But even presently, I mean, we see that even on the N24, which is the national route through Tipperary Town, every three years, the TIA actually do drive that road at night time and at daytime, right, to evaluate the risks. Mm. what they do is they do a report and what and they purpo- and they actually say what should be done to make the hazards right and safe which might involve um road improvements or traffic calming right so that's actually done and the report is actually sent to the council right and um but the council don't really act on this at all. They just ignore it, right? I can give you an instance. I mean, I've always been on about uh, the local uh, crossroads here in Barnstown. It's yes. the most dangerous crossroads, right, between Limerick and Waterford. 11 years ago, the um, TII told the council t- to make it safe because um, sight lines are, are deficient, right? Mm. And nothing has ever been done about it, right? And we've been campaigning, right, to get it done. And we've only been ignored by the council. And another big issue, even about cash flow and everywhere else, is no one takes responsibility, you know. And it's like um, what you were on last week about the uh, the new road, right, the N24. No one is, is saying who is going to be the project manager for the council. You know, the most important role on the job, right? That's like uh, uh, dealing with a school not knowing who the principal is, right? Or dealing with the guards in a town, not knowing who the superintendent is, right? I mean, for accountability, you have to know who's responsible, right? And that's what's happening with a lot of these road jobs. Uh, And then you hear... I I think they said
0: at the time, David, that they weren't in a position at this point to make all of that because they're still in, in, in the early stages of phase two.
8: But, sorry, you should know who the project manager is on the job. Yeah. Who's responsible for the job? I mean, that's... But, see, the council... I mean, I see it, too, and the council is, too. The same thing is happening in the um, council, right? Who is responsible? Mm. No-one mentions names, right? I mean, there is someone that's responsible. Well, ultimately, I mean, all roads in Teperi Town, in Tiberi County, are the responsible, responsibility of Marcus Connor. He's the director for all roads, right? And if, if something is designed, is designed wrong... Well, first of all, the design was prepared by someone, right? And then that was actually approved by someone. So you need to know who these people are, right? And I mean, and I've seen it with councils, with, with councillors. They look as though they're, they're covering for the council. They don't mention names. Well, we, well in terms
0: of them, my understanding from a lot of councillors that I speak to is that they don't get yeah. an awful lot of information, David. You know, until something's are very well. But they don't. don't it, right?
9: well,
8: I, but they
2: don't
8: yeah, well,
0: demand it. Well, they say they do, and they say often they're presented with a situ- situation that is a fait accompli uh, to them. Uh, getting back to the deaths on the yeah. road, is it my, is, am I correct in understanding that the decision to have an area deemed hazardous is based on fatality as opposed to accidents? Am I, am I correct in that,
8: David? No, well, sorry, uh, okay, all the national routes in the county, right? As I said, the TII actually drive those routes, right, every three years, and they come up and they identify hazards. They have to do that by law because, I mean, on um, national routes, you have international traffic using them, right? Mm. But, I mean, the council, again, what you hear from them about everything, right? First of all, they say, oh, it's not my responsibility, it's TII, right? But the TII have actually said, no, all roads in this county, right, are the responsibility of the council you know, ultimately, right, Mm. the TIA will provide funding if they're asked to do so.
0: Okay, and where we are now then, I mean, can you identify areas, for instance, that are particularly hazardous and that we should be highlighting?
8: Yeah, well, as I said, they have been on the N24 between between Menard and um, Carrick and Shore, there's actually 64 locations that the TII actually are saying are hazardous, right? Mm. And that should be made safe. I mean, the TII actually... And the TII have actually said, we'll provide funding if you do that.
0: So what's the hold-up, then? It's with the local authority, is it?
8: It is. It's it's, it's the council engineers, right, again, who are responsible, right? I mean, I think it's criminal, the fact Mm. they can ignore, you know, requests to make... And it's very frustrating because the TII actually do reports, right? And a lot of effort goes into them, right? They actually... Like, in Tipperary Town, right, the incidents, like, things they actually point out, right, is lack of traffic traffic calming, unprotected walkways and cycle tracks, right, obscured visibility at junctions, right, incomplete safety barriers, insufficient sight lines at junctions, hazardous parking and pick-up at schools, right, overgrown hedges, right, no advance or hidden signs, hazardous layouts at junctions, right, no advance signs and no C2 at roundabouts. These are all the hazards that have been pointed out to the council and they've done nothing about it.
0: And is that a matter of resources, do you think?
8: No, 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 no. No, no I mean, uh, it's, it's, I think it's bad management you know, to begin with, right? I mean, they should make roads safe in the first place. I mean, they're talking about um, road safety strategies and reducing the number of deaths. I mean, temporary. Had um, 16 road deaths last year. It was the highest in the whole county. In the whole country, right? Yeah. Um, and Tipperary is not the most populated. I mean, Dublin is the most populated with millions, right? I mean, Tipperary has only 70,000 or something, right? You know. So, and I mean, if they're interested in making roads safe, right? First of all, should, uh, reducing the number of deaths. I mean, the target actually for last year, according to the Road Safety Strategy by Tipperary County Council, was four deaths, and they had, and there was 16 deaths no review no questioning about it right nothing been done
0: and and that yeah and and again if you were to give me a reason for that you'd say what just is is it well
8: i say it's just um bureau, bureaucratic and being able to get away with that Biden responsibility right and mm-hmm. uh, right and the council engineers right they can get away with it right you know yeah. we're doing nothing, right? No, but see, what they the, should actually do is I mean yeah. what should be done, right, is to, is first of all, the sixty four hazards between um and they should actually appoint a subcontractor, right? Who would actually do all the work for them, right? Because they obviously they're not able to do the work themselves and they're not able to organise it. And I think the um TIA actually said it costs like six hundred thousand to make right all these um hazards. So I mean mm. what they should do is imply a contractor, civil engineering contractor who would actually go in and do the work.
0: Yeah, see the number of deaths uh, so far this year. Again, it's it's twenty so far. We're only. Into early February yeah. on 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 Irish roads, so it's it's yeah. See looking.
8: a lot of parents. Sorry, the other issue I'd make too. Right, yeah. with parents, and young drivers. Right. A lot of these accidents, right, involve young people. Right. And it's awful to see young people being killed or being maimed. for The yeah. rest of their lives. Right. But there is something. I what? And then they talk about speed vans, Right. But really, I mean, there is technology in which is you can put in um, electronic devices in cars. Right. And all new cars now are, are fitted with intelligent speed assistance. Right. Which means there's a camera in the car, and it can actually read road signs. And with GPS, it knows where the vehicle is, and it knows from a database what the speed on that particular stretch of road should be. And actually cuts the um, the power to the engine right to reduce the car so it is within the, the speed limit. Hmm. It, I mean, that's technology. That's, yeah. I mean, a lot of parents would be interested in because obviously they're afraid of giving children high-powered cars and what might happen.
0: Well, of course they are, but that kind of technology to impose that on on cars now—I mean, that's a long way away, is it not, uh, David? Oh
8: no, no, no! I mean, for the last two years, all new cars are fitted with that technology.
0: Yeah, but well, most young people don't have new cars. They have ten-year-old cars and stuff. You know. And
8: yeah, but see, a lot of young people, too, I mean, there is. parents start off giving them their cars to drive, right? Do mm. you know, right? But, but another thing that happens, too, I mean, another bit of technology which has actually been used quite commonly with fleets of cars is um, black box recorders. But well, what happens is in, in the car, right, there is um, there's a sort of in-vehicle uh, electronic device, right, that actually measures um the, the car speeds and uh, st- and whether it's acceleration or deceleration too fast, right? Or whether it's speeding, again, it's um, GPS, right? And it, every day, every weekend, every week, uh, usually on a Friday, uh, they'll send a report to the company. And the company can call in the drivers and say, you've been speeding in my car, right? Slow down, <laughs> do you follow me? Mm. I mean, that is another great device. To, to monitor. Well, look, I think we should be looking
0: at anything at this point that could stop the the, the chaos and uh, the tragedy on a, on the roads for sure. David, good to talk to you this morning and thanks very much Niamh, for coming on with me. 1800 938 007 if you want to uh, text her, uh, WhatsApp and of course you can speak to Leanne as well. 1800 938 says I'm not uh, from Cashel but this is another example of no accountability, Franz. Somebody decided to put the roundabout there. Somebody decided to remove it. He or she should be called in to justify the waste of public monies where this is concerned. A lot of people onto to us to express their um how should I put it? Their uh, dismay, I suppose, that uh, this situation can can uh, occur. Um I agree with the James that says here, crazy situation with a, a footpath. Somebody else wants to say uh, the footpaths in Tipperary Town on the Limerick Road as well. Crazy situation. yeah, it really narrows the road, and in, in a lot of these cases, doesn't it? All right, then uh, we'll take a break. News and information is on the way very soon.
4: Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on, you can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 06724111 or Slattery's
0: Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. John O'Byrne was on to us, and John says, uh, why are the representatives on the municipal body so silent in regard uh, to the roundabout on uh, the Care Road? And uh, also, uh, there are many concerns about Cashel at the moment, and they're not being dealt uh, with are the local councillors really working for the people of the town? This is John to us today on 083 311 3311. Lots more coming into us on this, and I will uh, get back to it. In fact, we will go back uh, to it on the programme tomorrow as well. Now, we're north of the county for this week's village tour. Ellie's in Drummondere this week, and uh, she'll join us live in the company of local organisations and personalities in just a while. We'll go live to Drummondere in just a little while. But first of all, Ali and John G. Odor took a walk around Drummondier to find out more about the area and indeed about its rich history as well.
10: The next stop on our village tour takes us north of the county. We're here on the shores of Loch Derg in Drummondier this morning. John, what a fantastic place for our next
11: stop. Isn't it? Isn't it so romantic, yeah. just the two of us here? And we're looking out over the lake and look at the serenity of all that. And, you know, uh, the... Um, the waders there in the lake, the birds they're around the place, you can hear them as well as that and we're just here looking across the lake and it's so wonderful to be here when it's serene. But Drummoneer I think for people in North Tipperary which would be interesting, why did Drummoneer get to be so well known? And I think if you think of North Tipperary, it's a long long way from the sea. Mm-hmm. So if you were to maybe milk the cows in the evening or whatever in the past it wouldn't be possible to go to Tramore like maybe you might be able to do down in South Tipperary. So what they do is they come along here to Drummoneer and for loads of kids in North Triborary, this was really their the seat. Beach. The beach, that yeah. was the beach. <laughs> the one thing is, it's a pretty stony beach, isn't it? But I suppose if you had never been in Tramore you wouldn't know any better. And I remember coming here, and people would absolutely have loved it here. It was seen as an exotic place. And, of course, it still is, and it's so calm, and all the woods there looking across to uh, Drummondier House and that as well as that. But well, if we look back up here then, we'll see... Uh, a tower house and of course I'm always saying this well you call it a castle but it's just a tower house and that was the tower house of your Kennedy's and we are really here almost in a way by kind permission of the Kennedy's because the Kennedy's were the top dogs up here for a long long time and where did the Oak Kennedy's come from the name well they are descended from Brian brew and of course, in the past in Ireland, I mean, we take St. Patrick, we never say, well, what is his surname? So there were no surnames, and those only began to come in about a 1,000 years ago. And the name O'Kennedy came from a fellow called Mahan, and he was a, a nephew of Brian Boru. But Brian Boru's father was called Kineda, and he then called himself Mahan o'kineda That is, in other words, a descendant of Kineda. And that's where you got then... The O'Kennedys. And you you know, and that's where the surname came from here. So they were very, very powerful then. Initially, what happened was the Normans came into Ireland, drove all the Irish out, but then gradually over time, firstly they began to integrate with the Irish and marry into them, so the lines weren't so clear. And secondly, then during the Black Death and during bad winters and that. We had a a, a little Ice Age then as well. It forced the Normans back, who were great, great uh, corn farms, and the Irish began to reassert themselves. And the O'Kennedys reasserted themselves. So there's a castle here. Another O'Kennedy castle, of course, is inside in Nina. There's another one down at... What do we call it? Gary Kennedy, the Garden of the Kennedys. So it's all over here. They were really powerful in this area. And then, of course, they spread out through intermarriage, and that. They got down to Waterford, down as far as Wexford. And, of course, they came to Dunganstown down there. And, of course, from there, then, the Kennedys emigrated to the United States. And what I think is fantastic is they were actually a royal family here descended from Brian Brianborough. But when they went to America, you don't really have royalty in America. But if there is a royal family in America, it is the... It's Kennedy's so history goes a full circle isn't that fantastic Yeah. yeah
10: Uh, tell me a bit as well about the history of of Drum and Ear. Obviously, the water always playing a big part in it. the RNLI, of course, a huge part in it as well.
11: Yeah, absolutely. And what you would say here is, you know, that lake water, you think it's lovely and serene there, so nothing could happen. It can absolutely be deadly. And in fact, lake water is more dense. So they say the storms on lakes can be actually worse than they would be in seawater, which is less dense. You can get vicious storms here. In fact, that was proven. And you might be able to talk more about that when a Guinness boat coming down from Dublin came down through all the canals and it was bringing the porter, as they say down to Limerick and it left Gary Kennedy which was off down there and went out into a storm it was actually being towed but suddenly a wave just came in and smashed the boat and sank it broke the tow rope and that was the, the motorised they called M45 and that sank immediately uh, there and there was four people on board and only one survives so it shows how vicious the lake can be and of course how important it is then that there is life saving on the lake and you can quite easily get get lost out there on that lake yeah. but it you know what it has been i think a you know the thing to remember is if we went back to early christian ireland you know The Shannon we're looking out there, that was what you would call the M1 motorway. That was the easiest way to travel. If you wanted to go from here to Limerick, you could try and walk along rutted roads or have a cart or something. Much easier to get in the boat and smoothly go down there. And so... This lake uh, was part of the Shannon scheme and for years and years up and down here there would have been trade. That became huge then when the actual Grand Canal was built which linked up here with the Shannon and Shannon Bridge so you could go from Dublin down to Limerick. That's how heavy goods were moved around and of course then over there then we're looking across there and on the other side is Mount Shannon and near that of course is Inish Kaltra which is Holy Island and that has seven churches on it and a round tower and it was a great place of pilgrimage in the early medieval period. You think, well it's really out of the way, how do people get there? But of course the answer is what most people when they think of a pilgrim, they think of somebody walking with a staff. But of course in the medieval period, whether it was going here, this was right at the centre of Ireland, just as Clonmac which is in a kind of an out-of-the-way place now, was at the centre of Ireland this is where all the trade was this is how you could access, but of course that backfired on Clonmac and on Holy Island very badly because of course, what happened? The Vikings came in and they said, "Hurry, we can get right into the centre of Ireland, up they came and chopped the heads off all the monks and stored their gold all very sad, but that's it but they still did, did, did manage to survive and most of these monasteries then weren't finally finished until Henry VIII and the, 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 the disillusion of the monasteries.
10: Does anything remain now in Holy Island? Yeah,
11: well there are six churches there still and there's a round tower, it doesn't have a top on it. I think they never found the top and now they believe they never got around to finishing it. Right. Maybe the Vikings arrived at Stop that stage, whatever, yeah because yeah, it's 10th or 11th century so that kind of thing. but you wouldn't want to think the Vikings were all the bad guys. The Irish were quite capable of chopping heads off as well as that but it is and they're putting a visitor centre over at Mount Shannon and it can be accessed from the clear side. But what I'd love to see is more Getting more, I know there's leisure boats here, yeah. but you know, when you go up to Loch Erne, we'd be able to get in the boat and go across to Mount Shannon. I think we might look at, you know, we might have subsidised initially that, you know, we start, you you know, the interesting thing you know, is above and Lock uh, there on the Northern Ireland tourist board that we were looking at at uh, Loch Erne, and you know, we were just talking like this. The next thing a boat came in, what's that? That's the postman is coming in. That's how they do things. So they take things around like that. I'd love to see the lake. We haven't used it fully. More accessible, more people getting out in the water and maybe... Transport around the lake as well as that that, you know, would be subsidised initially but that you could go straight across link up in other rather than having that huge barrier with the other side.
10: Obviously, it's a huge draw for tourism as well. That hasn't diminished really, has it?
11: No, I I wouldn't say so. There was problems with pollution and that but I think it's very much, um, you know, it's very, for a say, if you go up there, there is one of the most wonderful, I think, yacht clubs in the world. It's one of the oldest yacht clubs in the world. It's up here. They create activity on the lake. But again, it's for the specialised sailing people. It's kind of niche market here. And what I would like to see is that the lake becomes something like that, that, you know, you can get on a boat and go right out and see the whole lake there. And, you know, there's a boat going out here at 11 o'clock. It visits this, this and this. You can visit. And I think it's set up for that because you have Drummond you have Mount Shannon, you have Killaloo, you have Tumna, You have all the little towns and villages along the way. But uh, this idea of exploring them from water, I think, and certainly there's a, there is a new now. I'm involved with chip tourism, and there is a new committee here, and they are working very hard under the chairmanship of the county manager, Joe McGrath, to bring the lake back and make it mainstream. And I think it's one of those swans, beautiful, aren't they? And you see the two of them, we're coming up to Valentine's Day, and it's so romantic, <laughs> the two of them there. they made and for life, don't they? They're they made for life, absolutely. They're not like humans. They're, <laughs> they're made for life, and that's it. So um, if humans were more like swans, life would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Thank <laughs>
10: Jan, as we walk along the arena, I think every village that we've gone to, they can claim a famous son, and Dromoneer is certainly no different.
11: Yeah, we're up here on the marina, Seth, and we're looking across at the hotel and that, of course, was owned by the Collison family, and that would be a very strong name up here, going back to the War of Independence, but of course, recently they have become famous because two of the Collison brothers who came out of here, this, mean, wonderfully, I mean, they set up Stripe, which I think, I don't know enormous amounts about IT, but payment process it is, is say, indeed yeah. absolutely something like PayPal, they set it up and it was hugely successful. And they had I know <laughs> whether they I don't know if it, there's any cash in being a millionaire anymore. I think they're probably <laughs> billionaires at this stage or something like that, but they've done enormously well. And coming out of a quiet place like that, it just shows like what with IT the whole world is so globalized, and you you know you can almost create from anywhere in the world. Whereas in the past, of course, if they were to do that, they probably had have to have the sad boat and emigration and all yeah. that kind of thing. But the marina is wonderful here and there's a big programme now to invest in this area, to invest in the lake, to upgrade all the facilities for boats coming in and that. So I think there's, you know, there's a huge future here and I always think you know, that the great thing here, we have neglected it. I mean, Tipperary is an inland county as everybody knows, but in a way for me, we do have a coastline and this is the coastline up here. We have a wonderful lake with a great tradition but I think we haven't exploited it fully.
10: Absolutely. And we'll look forward to speaking to some of the local people and groups from here in Dromineer And we'll do that after the break.
6: Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slatteries of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slatteries Garage Pecan. The name you can trust for over 50 years in the premier county. Slatterysgarage.ie. SlatteriesGarage.ie
4: Good morning, you're very welcome to the latest stop
10: on our village tour. This week we're north of the county, we're in Dromoneer here on the lakeside on this beautiful Wednesday morning and we have loads of wonderful great people to talk to and loads of fantastic groups as well. No village in tip, it has to be said, has let us down thus far. Such impressive work uh, going on in communities right across the county and that's exactly the point of why we're doing this village tour, to highlight that fantastic work. The first man I'm going to talk to... You drew the short straw this morning, Johnny. How are you doing?
12: Good, thanks, Alison. Good.
10: <laughs> Johnny, you're with Lockdark House B&B and, of course, here in Drummond Uh Tourism is a huge part of, of industry and income here, isn't it?
12: Absolutely. We're a tourist village and uh, tourism is really important and uh, kicks off. It's extended year on year and we have tourism now taking place all year round. But it really kicks off, I suppose, the middle of March and goes right through to the end of... Uh, October into November really, Mm. and uh, important, yeah, fishing, tourism, boating, sailing, a lot of different reasons, hiking, walking, biking, and uh, lots to do here.
10: We were talking during the week and there was something you said that really struck me because part of this village tour, I think we all maybe have a a preconceived notion of what a village is and that tends to include a church, a GA club, the shop, the pub. But Drummondier is a unique village in that respect because it doesn't fit the mould of what you think the village should be.
12: Alison, it's unique in so many different ways and in that way, absolutely. We have a lot going on in Drummondier, but we have a small resident population of not much more than 100 people. Despite that, we have a very active two fishing clubs, we have two marinas, we have a boat business, we have a BB, a very vibrant pub, and lots of different activities. We have the sailing club, LDYC, one of the oldest sailing clubs in the world. Uh, we have a bike tour business, we have a boat tour business, and all of these are feeding into this small village, which
2: yeah.
12: has very few residents, but a very big transient population. Yeah. And uh, it's a real gem. Yeah.
10: In the off-season then, I mean, do you enjoy the quiet time during the off-season? Are you just looking forward to just nothing you said? Or do you like, are you waiting for the bustle of the tourism season again?
12: I think some enjoy it more than others. (laughs) And if you look around, some are happy that there's nobody else around (laughs) and others aren't. And it depends. Uh, I love the variety. I love the change. And that change is not just a change from season to season, but even during the busy time, it's beautiful to walk down here at night and it's suddenly calm and it's quiet yeah. and you know that the following day it'll be full of tourists and full of people enjoying themselves and swimming. Uh, swimming is a big deal now since COVID in terms of cold water swimming. You yeah. have different groups come down at different times during the day and uh, all over the lake. But here is no mm-hmm. exception. So,
10: And there's plans to <clears> develop that even more with the toilet block and the shower block. Tell me what the plans are for that. Well,
12: I understand that the, the plan is there is planning permission to redevelop the toilet block into a, a new toilets and showers and changing areas and more than just a shower block facility but also as a sort of a community area which will help and it'll be much needed and it'll be a wonderful wonderful addition to this area yeah and uh, because this is a much used space and to be able to provide the infrastructure helps everyone and helps every business and makes it uh, just more a more pleasant experience for everyone
10: when are you hoping to have that in place sir
12: well we all would love it to be in place now and we've been promised time and time we've heard various start dates and we're hoping that it will begin this year and we're hoping that it'll be a relatively quick build but um i think you're asking the wrong person asking me unfortunately i'm not in charge of that that's a county council yeah but um We'll, we'll be putting the
10: push on it. Well, hopefully yeah. so,
12: and push it as hard as as you can. The sooner, the better.
10: Absolutely, Jenny. Thanks so much. Lovely to talk to you today, thanks, uh, Eleanor. We might bring you down here as well to talk uh, with Neve as well, because of course the RNLI, Lai, a huge, a huge uh, part of what goes on here. This year is another special year for marking. Tell us what the anniversary is this year. It's the bicentenary, two hundred years. That's incredible.
13: Absolutely. I mean, under over. One hundred and forty-four thousand people have been rescued since the inception of the Ordnungli two hundred years ago. That's a lot of people, yeah. and our, we celebrate our twentieth birthday in, in on Loch Derg. So the, our station is twenty years old. So it's it's wonderful, and um, the the premise and the um, philosophy of the Ordnungli hasn't changed in that two hundred years. It's rescue everyone. Yeah. And um, Neve, when did
14: you get involved? I've been involved most of my life since I was quite a young girl yeah. I, in in Dublin, not down here. And when I came down here, I joined the... But I'm involved more in fundraising, and yeah. I'm, a, I'm on council of the Ornalli as well. So um, we have a, an active fundraising committee, and we uh, this year, for the third year in succession, we're running a cycle around exposing the beauty of Loch yeah. Derg around three counties. And the cycle takes place on the 11th of May. And we have, you know, three 400 people who cycle mm. on that one day. And it's a big fundraising event, it's a big social event, and we get great cooperation from everybody around, from other sailing clubs, from local people, and uh, generally there's great Bon Ami.
10: Yeah. And Eleanor, when it comes to funding then for the RNLI, I mean, obviously this is hugely important, but in terms of government funding, I mean, does the RNLI receive much or anything? No, 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 it's...
13: no, it's no. entirely, de- yeah, entirely dependent on um, public contributions. That's incredible. It it is. I
10: mean, that's unbelievable.
13: Absolutely, and the donor of our boat, Robert Spear, um, he decided he and his wife decided they wanted to donate a boat to the Ornalli. Um The Ornealai identified Loch Derg as in need of a new boat, and so he's come over. He's met us for the naming ceremony, and that sort of um, altruism is extraordinary. Yeah. and that's what um, that's the whole foundation. You know, it's volunteers who who man the boats or woman the boats or crew the boats 24
14: 7 365 Uh, 365. days a year whether they're having their christmas dinner or whether they're at a family occasion they will drop everything and go to rescue people
13: that has benefited me though because i've had a dinner party (laughs) (laughs) and my My nice excuse yes my pager's gone off gone out done the rescue come back wrote up the press release and then sat down to supper and everybody else cooked it for me have
10: you any idea how many lives have been saved as a result of the rnli
13: um, well, since its inception, 144,000, um, the statistics for ours is, you know, we have about 20 shouts a year. And every life is precious. Yeah. That matters to that person. So we do know that there are people walking around today in Nina and the environs who would not have been here had we not gone out to yeah. rescue them. I mean, that's, that's very humbling. Yeah. And, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, we go out to, to rescue people that we've
10: never met before and probably will never meet again. But our objective is to bring them home. And anyone maybe who's listening and who might have it in their head, and I hope they do, to come up to Dromineer if they haven't been already, but maybe, you know, they, they want to donate, if at all. Can they do that for the Lie? Absolutely. They can yeah. go online and they can um, yeah, uh, um, uk and there's a, a donation, donation page there perfect um, so you have that event coming up but that's the main one to mark the 200th anniversary what else is coming up then this well, it's year not, for the 200th anniversary oh, sorry. There's,
14: a, there's numerous um, yeah. celebration the stamp is being printed and it's being published and, and it will be available on the 29th of February and that's a national and an international stamp there will be uh, the round Ireland race uh, supporting the lifeboats, and that's on the 22nd of June there's going to be the ceremony in Westminster Abbey on the 4th of March that's the actual date of the original foundation of yeah. the lifeboats. And there will be visits towards Orson There'll be an event in the Maritime Museum in Dunleary. And there's going to be very
10: whole all around the whole country. There will be celebrations. Fantastic. Well done on the fantastic work you've done to date. Eleanor, I'll be back to you to talk about the literary festival. But first of all, I want to go to uh, Donal. Where's Donal? From the Tidy Towns then. Donal, I'm sure you have a difficult enough job around here, particularly in the summertime.
15: Oh, summer is crazy. Yeah. Absolutely. We get people from as far away as Limerick, Thurness. Uh, you wouldn't get parking here on a fine Sunday. But we're lucky. We have a fairly active committee. Uh, we get help from the council during the summer. We have a caretaker three days a week who cuts the grass. And we also get help from local residents who are not members of the committee but they come out, if we have a work party they'll turn up they'll, we do every now and again we do clean up of the roads coming in you'd be amazed, we, we could fill five, six bin bags just out stuff out of the ditches mm. I don't know why people come down here with their supermax or, and throw it in the ditch on the way home
10: is it something that's getting worse, do you think?
15: It's getting worse. Is it? It is. And I presume we've, uh, McDonald's open now, so we get different boxes.
10: Yeah.
15: But the village itself is beautiful. Amazing. It is. We, you know, we do our best to keep it clean. We keep an eye on development, because technically we are a development committee.
11: Yeah.
15: Including the tidy towns. Um, we improve every year. We go up fibre. 10 marks each time so we may not win it but we're getting there
10: well done and johnny was telling us about the plans then for the shower block and the toilet block okay, yeah. i'm sure that's something you're looking forward to oh as well.
15: absolutely yeah and there's planning permission now to demolish the old hotel and it's going to be replaced by a conference center with more accommodation so in a year or two hopefully
10: that's great it'll
15: look even better
10: but do you know, I always feel like Drumaineer is a bit of a secret. I think okay. maybe for us mountain people down mm-hmm. the south, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's it's just incredible mm-hmm. here, and it's a shame not to make the most of of everything you have here.
15: Oh, it is because that yeah. we have all round, all year round swimmers yeah. here every morning. Yeah. Uh, particularly the ladies, the eight or ten of them come here regularly. We spotted
10: them this morning. They're hardy. Mm-hmm.
15: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was doing it up to the end of October but it got too cold for me. It? I have to wait till the, the spring comes in, but a lot of people don't know about trouble yeah, really. why is that? I don't know it's i mean it's it's on the maps on that, yeah. but people come and they kind of they might only live ten miles away. I've never been to trouble, yeah. You know?
10: The fact that it's included now in this national kind of tourism plan, it's, yeah. it's the Hidden Heartlands I think it falls yeah. under, isn't it? Has yeah. that benefited Germany
15: Oh, it has. It's yeah. definitely brought more people in, you know. And as I say, we have a marvellous pub, marvellous food, um, beautiful walks around the area. Um, we have... Oh, what else have we coming? Um... Yeah, but I, I mean, you've
10: aqua-splash here as well in the summer, which oh, yeah. is a big draw for crowds, isn't oh, it, is. it?
15: That brings out. Yeah. Guys, it's beautiful, inflatable stuff yeah. out there. Children love it. Yeah. You can hear them laughing all over the place.
10: And last time uh, I was here, I know yeah. they were having issues with insurance. Thankfully, yeah. that seems to have been resolved.
15: I think so. Yeah. So they were up, up and running last year again. Uh, that brings people out too, yeah. because you know parents have to bring the children around so they'll go and have a coffee and they'll go and have a drink while they're waiting. So it just brings activity to the village. Yeah.
10: Well and done we... on all your work to date, anyway. Thanks so much for yeah, having us, all. Donald. Of course, another big part of Drummondier is, of course, its fantastic sailing community. And we're going to talk to. Uh, what are you pointing out to me there, Neil? lady going swimming oh, in Catherine. the lake. Yeah. All right. Yes, we're looking at her now, the poor woman, and there's a crowd of looking at her going swimming in the lake. Catherine, you're from the Yacht Club here That's as well. Right, How long yeah. have you been in operation here? Um, the Yacht Club is coming on to 200
16: years, 1835. It was established here in the village, That's and it has been going ever since. Uh, enthusiasts were sailing on the lake, and then uh, they developed a Shannon One design, a wooden clinker boat, which was 100 years old last year. We we had the centenary of that and there were regattas up and down the, the lake uh, celebrating that boat. A uh, bo- wooden boat, so high maintenance. Yeah. But getting back to the, the, the yacht club, it is a members club so people can join and um, they can learn to sail. We have adult sailing classes. We also have school sailing, so schools that might want to come sailing. They can look. We, we provide these classes and boats and wetsuits, etc. etc. Um, we have um, the junior sailing in July for members' children who go on to become instructors and powerboat instructors. And the sailors go on to international fame, like Pamela Lee, who did a big transatlantic race last year. She's now a professional sailor. And the Kellehers from the roundabout, they've become very uh, proficient sailors. So we have a lot of um, uh, young sailors trained to enjoy and appreciate the water as well as all the adults who we have um, racing, club racing on Wednesdays and Sundays. And we host multiple events, including our big regatta in August. That's our showcase event in August. But we have weekend regattas for participants to come and enjoy the water. So it's a wonderful facilities. It may sound posh being a yacht club but it is not. It is uh, uh, very all, inclusive. all yeah. inclusive and it is not that expensive to, to, to become a member and to enjoy all the facilities. We have a beautiful clubhouse and we have beautiful facilities. It's also a fishing club so we have fishing members and not much fishing at the moment but it's yeah. getting there. And you don't have to have a boat to sail, people are always looking for crew isn't that right That's Catherine? That's right, mm-hmm. uh, the adult sailing, you can come down and learn and then you get to know people and you can come down and you can crew in the Shannons and crew in any of the other sailboats and the Squibs is another class that has become very popular and there's people always looking for crew yeah. so come in knock at the door and um, come down on Wednesdays and Sundays in the summer and just send in an email, and yeah. we'll match you up and get you out on
10: the water. And families maybe who come here for days out, can they rent out boats and go out? No,
16: we can't. We don't rent out. There's no day day not day trippers, but no, it's a it's a yeah. it's a private club. Yeah. And so no, we don't rent out boats.
10: Yeah. Tell me the plans then for the year. I mean, tell me the season for excuse my ignorance now when it comes to sailing. What is the season? Basically,
16: we start at Easter weekend with the Mount called the Mount Shannon Regatta, organised by the Lafroy family uh, who have been on the lake for sailing for many, many, many years. We have different weekends like the Mount Shannon, the Corrigines, Mm -hmm. Goose Island Regatta, the Harvest Regatta for the autumn. Uh, so we have uh, the Just For Fun regatta, which are weekend regattas where sailing, children, uh, adults, boats, everything on the water activities.
10: Would that draw in people from right
16: across the country? No, no, it's purely for their members. Right. But the the regatta in, uh, in August, August is where people come um, from re and participate. We will be having the Mirror Southerns. That's the Mirror class of boat. Southerns. That's the the Southern Championships here. So that will bring in people from other, from around the country. We also have the uh, keel boat regatta, which are keel boats, They're SB20s, Flying Fifteens. The Dragons. I love, I love that name, the Dragons. Yeah. The
14: first class to come here for the that r- event to come here. Yeah.
16: So they come and they'll have boats. They'll see boats coming down the road there. Big boats being trailed down and launched here uh, for the keelboat regatta. And that's a big outside mm-hmm. event. So we do have outside events organised by uh, other uh, c- um, class of boats. Yeah. Is there any other class that is coming the Optimist will be here soon for training. That's the little ones with their Optimist, the little wooden tub. You see them little ones in a boat. Oh,
10: lovely. Yeah,
16: and they have a training session coming, the Opti, Opti Sprints. There's like 40 or 50 of them coming
10: yeah.
16: Um. soon. And they will be... Uh, out on the water but for people who think it's expensive there's the school sailing and there's adult sailing and there are lots of uh, we have we we put on we have the inclusion games for disadvantaged or handicapped children Mm. so we do try to make it all inclusive
10: yeah Anyone who's looking for more information, how can they get uh, that? Just go
16: onto the webpage at www.ldyc.ie and put in the, the the information and the emails are there.
10: Okay, perfect. Lovely to Thank talk you. to you this morning, Catherine. Thanks for that. Uh, where's Con? He's going to talk to me about the marina pods. Uh, Con, where are you? Oh, here you are. On. how are you? What's your name?
17: Cronan O'Donnell my name. Oh
10: sorry Cronin. Yeah, no problem, Um man. I caught, I couldn't read your writing <laughs> sorry Cronin. What tell that? me about the Marina pods, how no long problem. have you been around?
17: So we took over um, Shannon Salem Marina here about the, three years ago now and um, we're just, our plan is to just in- make the place more inclusive and get more people on the water and I suppose uh, we put a lot of investment into Dayton that'll continue but what we need to do is work with local residents and get the tourism up and yeah. get exploit the, exploit the river for what it is and the lake for what it is
10: yeah do you think i mean there is scope for that i mean i remember being up in lucky a couple of years ago and i mean there's an area that knows how to exploit a lake but Drummondier people i think are um they're what's the word i'm looking for they're ah, i I can't remember the word I'm looking for but I mean they're happy with the space here I mean they don't feel the need that they have to exploit it you know compared to other areas with lakesides
17: well I suppose just I'm not a local here and there's probably a lot more locals around here so I don't want to say the wrong thing but some people say that we we don't want to share as much and we kind of want to share um, with we want to share certain things, and I suppose we don't want we don't want people coming in and ruining it.
10: That's the thing. Um, yeah. So it is. And being exploited, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
17: And everybody just has to be conscious that, like, we have to keep the place tidy and kind of leave yeah. no trace behind yeah. us. And like everybody wants to get on the water and everybody wants to do the right thing, but I suppose companies like ourselves coming in is just about helping to achieve that yeah. and trying to get more people on the water and safely.
10: And tell me how the pod marina would work then.
17: So we generally we have a marina and we have a workshop. So we um, rent out the berths so people can hold their own boats there, and uh, and then we have a workshop there so we can lift boats out and maintain them for people, or we can maintain them and people maintain. Uh, yeah. Basically, maintain their own boat and all that.
10: So you'd have them all year round then maybe for people who aren't from the area? Is that, is that the the idea of it?
17: Yes, so essentially like floating caravans. Yeah. So um, we, we've generally bigger boats. Um, uh, be 12 months of the year business now is what we're creating. Mm. A lot of marine business is six months, but it's kind of six months maintaining. So you can use it for six months yeah. of the year is generally how boats work.
10: Because I know we have an idea of when the tourism season starts and finishes, but even coming here this morning, there's two campers parked up here today. I mean, it's in February, so I mean, there's no start and end to a tourism season now, really.
17: No, there really isn't. And again, I think some other people around will probably have more information. On it, but there's those talk about uh, a camper van park coming in as well. So just look at the view here, like yeah, yeah, look look at the view. Just it's everybody, it's amazing, and just I suppose everything just has to be thought through and. Uh, we we don't want yeah. people coming in and ruining the area either. Yeah. So we all I know you're, you're
10: talking about being a blow-in as well, but I'm yeah. sure your business, your idea, and you've been made very welcome here because of that.
17: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Everybody has been very welcoming. And I suppose I was just talking to one person there, like our gate is closed, but it was, unfortunately it was a consequence of COVID. But it's not our gate is closed to anybody. Our gate is always open to anybody who wants to come in and please do drop in and say yeah. hello.
10: Thank you so much. Thanks for coming down to talk to us today. Anyone who's looking for more information, how can they get it?
17: Uh, Podmarine.com
10: Perfect. Thanks so much for that. Reggie, I'm going to you next, aren't I? Reggie, tell me, uh, we're kind of along the same vein as well, uh, because you lived on a boat here for many years too, didn't
18: you? I did, yes. As a child, I lived in Drummoneer on a boat Mm. for two and a half years and had a wonderful life. And then, of course, I went to Dublin to get education and then eventually I came back and I set up a business in Port (laughs) Tamna, To do with boats in 1979, and got out of that in 2000, and I've been retired ever since.
10: Well, not truly retired because I mean you you are kept busy. You build uh, models of boats now.
18: That would be what I amuse myself with. Yes. So my aim is to get to museum quality, and some of them, uh, some of my models at the moment are in the um, Civic Trust uh, Museum in Perry Square uh, on display there. There's another one. In the tourist office in Nina, uh, a model of Shadow One design. I know you're talking there about the Shadow One designs which are sailed in the yacht club, mm. but this is a, a very detailed model and uh, gives a good idea of what the boat yeah, looks like. I
10: can imagine the intricacies of that are just mind blowing.
18: Well, the last model I made was 500 hours of work, and uh, it was a very detailed model, and it incorporated nine carat gold in part of it. My goodness. And uh, it was of a very nice American yacht. The yacht was 54 foot long, and I made a, a 120th scale. So everything had to be 120th the size of the full size boat. Wow. The drawings came from America, photographs came from, uh, taken, and it was all made from that and put in a glass case. Yeah. And then the icing on the cake was to be asked to go and cruise cruiser and go off on, to, it. on it. That's amazing. <laughs>
10: So, uh, so, are you commissioned then to do these buildings, or are they sometimes? Yes, yeah.
18: and I do. They go for presentations, wedding presents. Or, yeah. But I, I do it as a hobby. I mean, I do. I made violins, I repaired clocks, uh, water clocks, all sorts of things. Whatever's interesting. Yeah. Challenge, and um, I like doing it.
10: And we'd love to see more. I know you've pictures you're going to show us there later. We might put them up online um, later for anyone. Is there anywhere online people can go to, to see them? Or you no. were saying they're in the tourist office in Nina as well. So certainly in the yeah. tourist
18: office in Nina, in the corner there, in the Shannon the One Design is there. They're also in number two Perry Square yeah. in the Civic Trust Museum. In Limerick. In Limerick, yeah. yeah. And uh, they, they're a wooden clinker-built Irish sailing boats. And, um, but there's, there's down to the detail of the nails showing. Yeah, the, in my the goodness. Wood, yeah, so that that's my entertainment.
10: Oh, listen, every time we go to a village as well, we love to, to ask people who live here what makes it so special. And as someone who has come here, gone away again and come back, what is it that makes Drummondier so special?
18: Well, I've had a fascinating life as a child here, running totally wild, living off eels in the lake, you know, running around the dogs, swimming, sailing. and Idyllic. Uh, idyllic, absolutely. You can't do it today. In fact, my parents went off to a regatta and left my brother and I alone on the boat for a week. Oh, my goodness. And he was 10 and I was 11. And now today, of course, we would be taken into care and my parents would have been prosecuted and neglecting their children.
10: I bet you he had a great week, though, did you?
18: Well, th- I don't think we'll go back
10: into that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there much of that now of, of kind of living on boats?
18: Well, yes, there are quite a few people living yeah. on the canals and also the, the some living in Athlone. And uh, in other parts. But when we were on the boat, I do not we didn't know of any other family in Ireland who was living on a boat. It mm-hmm. was totally unique. And then, of course, education came along and it was difficult from yeah. here.
10: With the price of houses now, I think my, my, a lot of people might be looking at it as an option.
18: It's not all what it's made, made out really? of. Really? It can be quite chilly in the winter when there's no central heating. And yeah. yeah. Between yeah, you know, We lived in a, an old boat, and she, the decks leaked. Yeah. So we had actually uh, two sides of a, a U.S. Army World War II tent covering each bunk. So when it rained, it came through the decks <gasps> and ran off the tent and down into the well oh in the middle. Oh, goodness. And there was no central heating, and uh, no heating of any sort in the cabin. Right. So, you know, it was a, a good... But it's uh, given you some great stories. Well, I've had a good life. <laughs> I, I've had great fun.
10: Richie, it's been lovely talking to you this morning thanks so much uh, Joe was here as well from the whiskey still Joe Ryan how are you Joe
19: good Alison yourself
10: not too bad yes. now I know we're talking a lot about tourism season I mean for you as a business here in drum as well I know tourism a big part of your business but also I mean what you provide for the community here as a bit of a hub at the whiskey still is, is just as important
19: all year round yeah we're in operation the four months probably the summer from May June July and August are really you know, full on. Yeah. Um. The winter season is a weekend business, more or less. We're open. We we couldn't afford to open seven days a week during the winter. It just w- wouldn't pay us. Mm. So we open five days a week.
10: Yeah. Has that always been the case? Or, no. You know, we're seeing a lot of pubs in, in rural areas as well closing. So Drum and is no different.
19: The fact that my wife and I run the business and are both hands-on Yeah. is the only reason it's an, it's still in operation Mm. it's just a difficult thing so you have to be there yourself yeah it's as simple as that
10: tell me then about running a business in a place like drum a lot of people might say you you know you're starting with an advantage because you you have that guarantee of tourism every summer you have this amazing location but I'm sure you're still faced with some of the same pressures and struggles that other businesses in other areas are, are faced with
19: yeah but the changes have come since 2005 we opened uh, we bought the place in 2005, and you, you had a crash in the economy, 2008-2009 roughly, and then you had COVID. So all those things really do uh, impact you hugely. Yeah. Um, our business has changed in that we were seven days a week, we used to do lunch seven days a week, that's all gone. So now we're just an evening business. Mm. And it's just, you, you go with whatever is, is determines your situation and you do your best, you know?
10: Yeah, do you see that changing?
19: It's very hard to see it changing. If you, if you think of our our nearest town is Nina, population of about 10,000. It has 15 pubs at the moment. It had 30-odd pubs 25, 30 years yeah. ago. So everything changes, you know, but you just have to adapt it yourself. No, we're fine as we are because we've got through the hard times. Yeah. And we're still there. Um but it's 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 an ongoing challenge, especially with increase in prices. Um, you know, and you have to adapt to that, you know. Yeah.
10: Um in terms of, of staff then I presume you would employ local people maybe in the summer, so that would also give an out benefit to people in the locality?
19: It would. Um and you have probably A certain amount will go through college, do weekends, then work for the summer, and then do the odd weekend during the winter. But they're getting more difficult to find. Are they? Absolutely.
10: Why is that? I've I've spoken to a number of people about that before. Is it maybe the the work ethic isn't there in the young people or what is it?
19: Next generation don't want to do what we do. Really? No question. It's just a really difficult thing. I mean, you have premises, big premises in Dublin where there's a population. Yeah, having, can't open up because they can't get staff Yeah, like it's a big problem you know so I don't know where it's going to end but we keep doing what we can do for the time being and keep going you know yeah, and we have okay. a very good staff and we've been very lucky with that mm. so we'll keep going you know
10: and all, all the best to you Joe Ryan from the Whiskey Still thanks so much for talking to us uh, Charles Stanley Smith is with us as well environmentalist yeah. Charlie isn't it how yeah. are you?
20: Yes, I'm uh, Grant, yeah, and I've been environmentalist for about 40, 50 years, and it's this lake here that caused me to get into environmentalism, because you're looking there it absolutely, it looks pristine, uh, it's area of water, but actually over the years, early about 40, 50 years ago, it was in danger of going eutrophic, which means it had too much fertilizers and it had too much phosphorus, too much nitrates, and a campaign was started right up and down the Shannon to protect the, the River Shannon because mm. the Shannon flows through here. It actually flows over that side of the, the, the Clare side, and uh, that would have caused real problems for everybody, not just tourism and so on. And uh, so, over the years, we worked a lot of on this to try and reduce the amount of uh, runoff. Of excess fertilisers into the water, which has been working and is working. It is further to go, there's still a lot of um, water in Ireland which is not up to prestige status, but we're working on it and go on. But unfortunately uh, the thing that happened is zebra mussels got into the lake, because if you were down here 40 years ago, you couldn't see the bottom of the lake because it had algae growing in it, which blocked everything out. So the zebra mussels got introduced and the thing is they eat the algae. So the lake is now clear uh, and you can see much further down, which has introduced other things because there's plants on the bottom which never used to have sunlight. Now the sunlight's getting down there and they're growing up and you get Great fronds of 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 weed out there, so it's not bad. It's not great, yeah. but it's still and a, there. And a lot uh, of great so work important done. Yeah, for tourism that we maintain, freshwater and lakes like this. Absolutely, this is a unique lake. Yeah, uh, and, and coming down here in the morning to see that. I mean, it's beautifully smooth now. Yeah, for a clear w- winter's morning. You can't see anything better.
10: I know, it's beautiful Charles, thanks for talking to us this morning uh, John Fletcher is with Ormond Historical Society Morning John. Good morning Alison Now I know uh, John G and myself uh, were talking about O'Kennedy Castle and stuff but you were telling me about the castle ruins which we hadn't touched during our, our historical tour uh, Yes, uh, the church ruins Sorry. The, the church ruins, yeah. well
21: the, it, the church probably dates back probably to the 10th century, I think it's not absolutely certain, it may, have, there's a tradition that it may have been uh, built by monks from uh, English okay. Cal. Holy Island, more commonly known as Holy Island, uh, who would have come up and built it, it would have been uh, extensively refurbished uh, probably in the uh, 12th century and uh, obviously had later had fallen, uh, fell into ruin mm. but uh, it would have been uh, quite important and of course it's now the burial place of uh, a number of quite a, quite a few people but uh, probably the most famous w- uh, in more recent times would have been Archbishop uh, Michael Courtley who was uh, assassinated in uh, Burundi who was a papal, well, he was at the papal, uh, he he wasn't maybe a full papal nuncio, but he was uh, part of that uh, team, and he was assassinated, I think, back around Two thousand was it? Or late nineteen yeah. nineties, two thousand, around that time. Yeah. Uh, so he he is buried there, uh, yes, uh, Bush. Uh, and
10: I know you're hoping maybe to to secure some funding, maybe to to restore the church ruins, or at least to to protect them as they are. Well, surely it would be
21: yes, it would be good to have that, and also I think for for the castle itself, yeah. because the castle is uh, is quite an important and uh, even for the for the for the village, I think it's part of it. It looks on, on a picture. Uh, the, yeah. The, the castle, in a way, makes Village, and uh, uh, you know, it was, of course, uh, a Norman uh, probably that probably not clear, but probably from around the 1300s. Of course, the butlers would have uh, built it, and it would have gone into the uh, they, they would have been controlled for a while by the Cantwell family who were yeah. tenants of the Earls of Ormond or the Dukes of Ormond and uh, later of course the O'Kennedys uh, probably in the 1400s and into the 1500s the O'Kennedys would have been uh, quite important and would have taken, uh, taken control, rest control mm. back again yeah. for, for quite a period of time and of course later again the Cantwells came back for a while and um, then, of course, in uh, the uh, uh, Cromwellian wars, uh, the, the, the castle was besieged. For just but there was no, there wasn't a shot fired. The the, uh, the uh, garrison surrendered and uh, were allowed to walk away. Mm. And uh, but the castle was uh, uh, at that time, of course, the Cromwellians would have uh, 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 fired some. It wanted to make it useless for a military purpose, yeah. so they would have damaged it. And uh, so it's pretty so, much in ruins uh, we're, since We're then. not
10: short of, of historical stories here. I'm afraid we're out of time, but there is a few people I need to get to uh, just before we go. So bear with me, friend. Curry, back in studio. studio. Uh, Rob from e-bikes is here as well. Rob, um, I mean, e-bikes, I mean, you can't have a tourism industry and not have some kind of e-bike or bike rental scheme. And you're certainly providing that there. How has that business been growing?
22: Yeah, so we started up last year and we're offering uh, e-bike rentals and guided tours around the lockdown area, Drummondy is a fairly key place because as as you've just been hearing there's a lot of history here and beautiful views and um, the main thing is showcasing the area and there's a lot of people would be kind of shy of uh, cycling on the main roads around here but uh, I like to show off how many just how many little back roads there are where you can just relax enjoy the countryside and see the beautiful scenery
10: and in terms of renting it out then, I, I know a lot of people would be saying, how much is it then? Are e-bikes a bit dearer to rent out or does it matter?
22: Um, yeah, the, well, they're, um, it's €50 Euros for a day or That's €30 Euros for a half yeah. day. A guided tour is a bit more. Um, we also do group cycles where yeah. there would be maybe four or five people would go out and we'd... Basically, uh, we'd pick a route, we'd explore the area yeah. and uh, that would take two or three hours and...
10: It's a fantastic idea for a day out. I mean, when the, the Aqua Splash is back open, rent out a bike, take a tour. I mean, that is a fantastic day out for people.
22: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we're hoping in, in the longer term even to expand into maybe you could take a boat down to Gary Kennedy and cycle back, oh, that kind of idea. That would be fantastic. We haven't developed it yet, but we're hoping to watch this space, oh. as they say.
10: Anyone who's looking for more information, where can they get it? Uh,
22: so, so it's on our website, which is IE.
10: Rob, thanks so much. I wish I had more time for you. Sorry, Eleanor and Judy. Uh, Eleanor, first of all, I know we talk to you every year about the Dromoneer Literary Festival. It's been going a long time now and going from strength to strength. I think it, the festival celebrated its 20th um, wow. birthday last year, but um,
13: I, I was uh, one of the founder members and program curator up until ni- uh, 1917. 2017. <laughs> <laughs> Does it feel like 1917? Yeah, yeah. Good, good genetics, <laughs> I look good. Um, but it, it's phenomenal. I was just saying to Judy, I was reading in Mumbai in Bombay at the International um, Literary Festival, there, and people were asking me about uh, Drummondere and how big a metropolis it was. And I was thinking, one, they've heard about Drummondere Literary Festival, and B, they think it's a metropolis if they only knew. Um, but we, you know, it's, it's, it's going from strength to strength. It, it honours uh, local writers and yeah. um, artists as well as bringing in international writers and artists. Jo McNulty is the chairperson at the moment, and she's doing a phenomenal job. It's a volunteer committee, like most yeah. things. In the community, and we all double job. You know, we all were we're not involved in the water; we're involved in the literary events. So it's wonderful. Judy was one of our artists one year. Yeah, Judy. I was
10: talking to her. Judy Hamilton is an artist. I mean, what a better place to get inspiration than here in Drumaney?
9: It's incredible. Absolutely. And just look out the window, and it changes all the time. It's just amazing. And winter is nicer than the summer. (laughs) And it's a lovely art, creative community here, isn't it? It is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Anyone who's looking
10: maybe to, to look at your own work? I mean, you have a studio here, don't you? I have you? a
9: studio, yeah. You, you can just look me up, um, Judy Hamilton Artist, on Instagram or on, on Facebook. And you can come make an appointment and see my work. It would be great. Absolutely, and it's
10: beautiful. And I have to ask you, because you're one of the, the hardy women who were out this morning <laughs> swimming. We were watching you as
9: we arrived on. Was it freezing? It was. Um, it wasn't too bad today, right. but yesterday it was pouring rain oh. and the water um the, the rain was landing on the water was was actually quite beautiful <laughs> oh my god how do you feel after it is it as good as everyone oh, says it's, it's amazing I and mean, it yeah. certainly sets you up and it's very sociable and yeah you know it's, it's a fantastic how long story. have you been doing it um i've done it for two years now so yeah not and all not every day but nearly and there's day. a group of of
10: you that go out every yes, morning
9: every morning at 10 to 9 there's a group and then Quarter past nine there's another group, and yeah. Oh, fantastic. That's brilliant.
10: Well, Lisa, we wish you all the best. Thanks Thank so much you. for having us here. I know I know I'm way over time, so apologies, Fran. But that's it from here in Drummoneer, the latest stop on our village tour. And if you're listening this morning and you want to highlight the great work and, and great community spirit in your village, you can contact us on tip today at tipfm.com. We'd love to come out and visit you. But from here, from a beautiful lakeside drummanier this morning, it's back to you in studio. Well,
0: thanks very much indeed, Ali, and thanks to everybody who gathered in lovely Drum this morning for that uh, special stop-off in our Village Tour series. News and information is coming up.
5: Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry
6: In association with Slatteries of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slatteries Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County.
4: SlatteriesGarage.ie
0: Thanks, Pat. Uh, Now we've had a spotlight on dementia all of last week and indeed this week as well. Over 64,000 people living with dementia in Ireland at this point with this number set to increase. More and more of us will be affected by dementia in our lifetime. Dementia understand together and the HSE want to help to create an Ireland that embraces and includes people living with dementia. Here's Shea.
23: When we talk about a person living with dementia... Do you focus on the words living with or just dementia? It is possible for people living with dementia to live a fulfilling life. And having the support of a community can really help. A community that sees the person, not the dementia. A community that talks about and acknowledges the condition. A community that supports and engages with families and carers. There are six key actions we can all take to ensure that people with dementia and their families are respected, supported and connected. See the person, not the dementia. Talk about dementia. Ask how you can help. Stay in touch. Support people to keep up hobbies and interests. Make sure your service or space is easy to use. For more information, visit understandtogether.ie or call the National Helpline provided by the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland on free phone one 341 341
0: From the HSE. Thanks, Shay. It's time now for our Garda Slot. I'm glad to be joined by Sergeant Carol O'Leary, uh, in charge of uh, Sergeant in charge indeed of Care Garda Station. Good morning to you, Carol.
24: Good morning, Fran. How are you?
0: Good to talk to you today. Can we begin in North Stip in the Nina area? And two two arrests, Carol.
24: There was, unfortunately, there's still people out there who are driving under the influence. And in relation to Nina, there was two persons arrested on suspicion of driving under the influence of drugs in the last week. There was one in Moneygall and one in Nina. Hard to believe that people are still doing it. There's so many causes for collisions and unfortunately some of them end up being fatal and serious yeah. injuries. But this is one that people can and should have the awareness to never ever drink or drive or take drugs in that and any circumstance.
0: Right, and of course, just to remind people again that the Guardian now have the technology, Carol, to test for drugs uh, at the side of the road. At the
24: side of the road, and yeah. again, it's a great facility, and a great service that we have and that we can do it. Unfortunately, the results are still higher than we'd like for yeah. the positive results, but yeah, again, a fantastic service that we can do now on the side of the road
0: Some criminal damage, Carol, in uh, Silvermines area.
24: There was an unfortunate one, you know, possibly not the, the most serious one, but certainly for the people involved, it's quite upsetting and quite harmful. There was mm. eggs thrown at a house in silver mines on the 30th of January there. It seemed to be a targeted incident, And these can have a serious impact on the people in the house. You know, it's not. It's of course, it's, yeah. It's, they're walking away, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hassle, and it's very upsetting for everybody involved. So, Gardiou and Nina are still investigating that, and hopefully, we'll get results soon Ho- enough.
0: Hopefully, so indeed. Was there a car taken in in Newport? Was it?
24: There was the early hours of the second of February. So that would have been just there last weekend. The car was recovered in Castle Troy, was examined. CCTV has been gathered and Gardaí are examining CCTV from the area from where it was stolen from and also where it was recovered. So they're very optimistic and hopeful of a good result in that one.
0: Now, a number of burglaries, Carol...
24: There was, unfortunately, there was a spate of them there on the 2nd of February, one in Roscray and one in Nina. A house in the estate off the Drummond Road in Nina was broken into during the course of the 2nd, and some items were stolen. Gary would again appeal to people, even though there's a bit of stretch in the evening and today is a lovely sunny day, report any suspicious activity and also take the time to light up and lock up your house before you go anywhere. There was a burglary again then on the Golden Grove Road in mm-hmm. Roscray during the daylight hours. Again, items were stolen, and Gardaí are seeking public assistance. If you saw or heard anything suspicious, give them a route, give them a ring up in Nina. You can mm. help them with that.
0: And you want people to be vigilant, I suppose, uh, all of the time.
24: It is, I suppose, especially in winter. We, yeah. can, we have our campaigns to target burglaries, but this time of year now, people can get a little bit. So it's relaxed when turning on the lights and making it look as if there is someone in the house. It is rare that people that homes are broken into, but it can happen. And in this case, then again, it was during daylight hours. So always be careful if you're spring cleaning to lock the doors and close the windows and don't walk away and leave it to chance.
0: Right, that business premises in Lisbonne as well.
24: There was sometime between the thirty-first of January and the first of January, first of February, a business premise is limp. List Bunny was entered. Mm. There was some damage caused. Nothing was taken but again very upsetting for the people involved and Gardaí are appealing for anyone with any information dash cams, CCTV, whatever they may have.
0: Mm. And another business premises in fact in Ballinae
24: Unfortunately, they can be targeted, yeah. There was one there on Main Street in Ballina, approximately 3.30am, again, on the 2nd of February. number of suspects were involved, caused significant amount of damage to the property. And across the bridge in Killaloo, there was another business premises broken into, items taken from there, again, by the same culprits. They are continuing to investigate and hopefully will have results sooner rather than later in that one.
0: To the Clan Mill area then, uh, Carl, and I know that the Guardian, they're grateful to, to motorists, uh they were patient over Bank Holiday, I suppose.
24: They were. It was a busy weekend. It was the first weekend for all of us, and obviously there was a big event in Clonmel over the weekend, so Gardie, Cheryl, Kelly, the sergeant in charge there, would just like to thank everyone for their patience. It, it's a busy time, and mm. we're trying to get everybody to where they're going as quickly and as safely as possible.
0: Now, uh, we speak about it almost every time, Carmel, but uh, again, theft from, from cars.
24: Theft, there was. There was 10 over the weekend over Bank Holiday well? in Clonmel where mm. members are asked if they have any... CCTV, dash cam. There's quite good dash cam and CCTV footage around the place. If mm. you have even one of the doorbell ones that might show someone yeah, coming or approaching area, yeah. contact them. Gardie, you're also reminding people to remove all items, phones, handbags, money from your cars and ensure they're locked at all times. Particularly interested in a white-coloured Toyota car that may have been seen around the area at the time. So any time over the weekend, kind of distinctive white Toyota vehicle there, if you can Mm. help us with
0: that. And that's around Clamell Town, Carol, is it? Around Clamell, around around the Springfield
24: area in Clamell.
0: Very good. Uh, Once again, uh, reminding people about scam emails and text, etc., all of that.
24: It is heartbreaking to hear people still getting caught, but unfortunately, as I always say, the people that are doing it are professionals. That's their job. They're trying to get their money from it. And on this occasion, there was over a €1,000 taken from an account after the person received a phone call from a person that they genuinely thought and took it good faith was their bank provider. Fortunately, they were asked a few questions and they're at a loss now of over €1,000 from it. So again, we'd encourage people to be cautious. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And never, ever give any information, any details. If they're genuine, if you believe they're genuine, get the phone number yourself, get it from their the website or call into a branch if it's your local bank and double check with them. They'll be happy to help you there. But please just never give out information or details mm-hmm. and certainly don't click on a link as they always encourage you to do.
0: I'm still getting those uh, toll ones. They're they're still very prevalent around the place, aren't they, on, on text?
24: They are and you'll get ones for custom charges now a lot. I'm finding I'm getting the custom charges ones. I'm obviously up to date on my e-toll <laughs> overcharges on the M50, but... Yes. They'll get them, and they'll come up with different ones all the time. Oh God!
0: Yeah, let's move to Tipperary Town and uh, three men uh, breaking into a house.
24: Three males broke into a house there on the Avondale Crescent, the Cashel Road side of Tip Town, between. 7 o'clock and 9 o'clock on the 25th of January. That would have been a Thursday there a few weeks back. So, Gardaí, you're appealing for anyone that might have seen it again in the Avondale Crescent or Cashel Road area on that date, the 25th of January.
0: And uh, another break-in then, uh, the Churchill area there.
24: There was, yeah. again, between five o'clock, and nine, 5 o'clock on the 29th and 9 o'clock on the 30th of January, a property was broken into on the Davitt Street, Churchwell area of Tipperary Town. Entry was gained through a back window, and if anyone saw anybody in that, the Davitt Street, Churchwell area there between the 29th and 30th of January.
0: And then out in Menard as well.
24: Lovely part of the county.
0: Yeah, it is indeed. Between
24: 7 o'clock there and midnight, again, late at night, on the 28th of January, a house was broken into in that area. Unfortunately, there was a PlayStation and an Apple iPhone stolen from the property. If you saw or heard anything, or if you've been offered a PlayStation or an Apple iPhone in unusual circumstances, or for less than what they're actually worth, please contact ourselves anywhere, but especially in Tiptown, they'd be interested to hear from you.
0: Mm, A shed uh, and a considerable amount of stuff taken there, wasn't there?
24: There was there was a shed was broken into between seven o'clock and midnight on the twenty fourth. It's the Faranasi area of Emily. Mm. So it's one that even for outside property if you're starting to kinda of get a bit of work done in the garden, just be careful and be cautious to make sure you secure the you know, the shed or whatever yeah. you have it in outside yeah. afterwards. There was a lot there. There was two generators taken on that occasion about €600 Euro worth each. So, again, quite valuable and maybe looking to be sold on at less than that value. So, if you are offered one, please contact us.
0: Right, and diesel taken as well. Was that in the Capo White area? Oh, in Isle. Yes, up near Capo
24: White there, yeah. It was, again, between the 27th and the 28th, between late evening on the 27th and early morning on the 28th, quantity of diesel stolen from a tractor in the ale area of Capo White. Again, it's an unfortunate one that still is targeted and still people will be the victims of it. So if you have anything on that, please share it with us.
0: An unusual one around my own area there, Vanakarti, Ballysheedy. What, what was taken there?
24: A burner was stolen from an oil burner in that area. So it was late at night between midnight and 2am on the 29th of January. So that would have been the Monday right, last week. So an unusual one, uh, the burner from an oil boiler. Again, quite specialised, quite... Indeed, yes. Not something that you're just going to walk up and, you know, pick up yeah. pick up So it was definitely
0: it. targeted in some way. Uh,
24: and it seems to have been yeah. a specific thing that they want. Obviously, they have a catchment
0: yeah. for it. All right. Uh, to uh, the care area then, Carol. And, uh, oh, yes, you have some news of the Cashel um, Garda Station. How, how is that progressing there?
24: It is, I have to say, the builders that are over there are doing phenomenal work. So it's just to let the people of Cashel and the greater Cashel area know that the work is going well spoken to some of the people involved and they're very optimistic and hopeful that it'll be up and ready and back early summer. So I know we're hosting all the guards from Cashel over here in care. It's quite a busy Mm. spot now with all the extra bodies but they are very anxious to get back into their new, fabulous, renovated station as soon as they can. So they'll all be, as soon as the building is ready, we'll definitely be kicking them out and sending them (laughs) back over to Cashel. And also, just to let people know that there's a clinic in the County Council premises, three days a week there. So if you have any questions and queries, there's one of our fabulous Garda staff members here is over there. The opening hours are up. They're up from week to week. So if you have any questions, please call in there. Or if you want the phones here in care, we have them all transferred over from Cashel. But... As soon as it's ready, we will be very much waving them back over to their home place.
0: I hear you're looking after them too well over there, so it might be difficult to get them to go back. But that oh no, great. we'll
24: get rid of them. Oh,
0: we'll...
24: <laughs> they know they're only here temporary, but we <laughs> love them.
0: you're making quite clear the stretch in the evenings uh, as well, kind of noticeable at the moment. Are you, are you concerned about people attending sporting
24: events and the like? Is that is that it? It Caroline? is. You can see it again with the stretch in the evenings yeah. and you know the daylight. There's a lot of sporting activities. A lot of the season, though, they're, they're starting to come in back into life and again as you mentioned previously make sure if you are going to any training session or matches for whatever sport it may be whether it's hurling soccer ga rugby or pickleball whatever you're at um don't leave anything in your car but also very importantly is to park correctly and park legally it is something that we're seeing more and more of as parents are returning back to the pitches that we'll see cars parked illegally parked blocking junctions and most importantly parking the footpaths For people who may have additional needs, people who may use a wheelchair, parents with buggies, it's not only is it an inconvenience, it can also be really, really dangerous for them to have to go off and around a car that's parked on a footpath. So just be mindful of the fact that there are other road users and people need it, even if it's in the evening, there's still people out there who are out for their power walk around the town.
0: I love it. Not me, I hasten to add. Uh, let's let's have a look at uh, the Thurless area then. A man was aris- arrested on drugs charges, I think, Carol, is that There
24: right? was. For drugs possession, for sale and supply, the Guardian of Thurless executed a warrant under the Drugs Act and discovered a significant number of tablets in alprazolam and a small bit of cannabis resin. He was arrested for the search, was detained and questioned, and depending on analysis from that, he'll probably be heading to court at some stage soon enough.
0: And a gentleman was found under the weather in Thurles.
24: It, he was. He was very much found drunk on the street and again he was arrested. It's primarily when we bring people back for that. It's for their own safety mm. because if sure, they can't after themselves, someone has to. But probably a consequence that he wasn't expecting at the end of a nice day out for himself.
0: I'm, I'm sure indeed. Alcohol um, uh, taken from a shop, I think. Is that, is that right?
24: There was. There was two bottles of alcohol um, there from a shop up in Thurless where Mail male entered, took the bottles and left. He was identified Again, very much thanks to CCTV, which is brilliant in a lot of those companies. I don't mm. know how people think they're going to get away with it. He was arrested and he's been charged before the court.
0: Tell me about the driver that was uh, stopped, Carol.
24: The Yeah, Gardie in in Pirlus stopped a driver who they actually then learned was disqualified from driving. So it was taking a, a stupid chance on that occasion. He was arrested, conveyed to Templemore Garda Station. And again, he is back already before the courts, probably facing serious consequences now.
0: Right, and somebody described as being highly intoxicated Um, uh, was uh, met by the Guardi, shall we say, as well.
24: They've had, I suppose, yes, with with matches again coming back, they're busy with public order on days like that. But on that occasion, again, it was a highly intoxicated, as we like to, we kind of describe things on a range. You're going to be be slightly drunk, but if you're highly intoxicated, you're really causing bother for yourself. Okay. So he was again arrested and taken to Thurles Garda station.
0: Alright Carol, well that's uh, a look at what's been happening over the past couple of weeks and thanks very much for your time as always Carol. Thank, no you.
24: Problem. Can Thank you. You, you. Can I just remind people, and Fran you yourself the deadline for applications for the current Garda recruitment drive <laughs> is open till 3 o'clock tomorrow so <laughs> you still have time to get that application form in if you haven't done it already. I
2: had a
0: look at some of the journalists uh, doing the fitness test, Carol. I'm afraid, I'm afraid I wouldn't pass.
17: I wouldn't pass.
24: If you had time to prepare for it Fran you would. We'll get you in there yet. Once, don't forget now, applications are open until the age of 50. So while you can still qualify, get in the application oh, there. at 3 o'clock tomorrow.
0: We're friends for life, Carol. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Bye you now. That's uh, Sergeant Carol O'Leary there, Sergeant in charge of Care Garda Station. All right, we'll take a break. Back
5: in just a moment
0: Although the Irish penal laws were abolished in the late 18th century, their legacy has carried on for centuries. Among the main inheritances of that dark period for Ireland's Catholics are the stories of persecution, loathing and hatred that have been passed down through the generations. Now this month on Tipperary's Hidden History... Conor Reedy turns to the children of the school's collection in the late 1930s Ireland for their impressions on how the dreaded penal laws played out across Tipperary.
25: words of Samantha Howell, a scholar at the University of Hawaii, Ireland stood in the shadows of the great powers of Britain for centuries. From the reign of Henry VIII and Elizabeth I thereafter, to the invasion by Oliver Cromwell, Britain's puppetry over Ireland had continued to dehumanise the Irish peoples. The injustice perpetrated by the Protestant English was exacerbated by by the Irish Penal Laws of 1695, which aimed to curtail the religious freedoms and property rights of Catholic Ireland. These laws implemented a range of restrictions to suppress the Catholic population, ensuring they remained subordinate to British authority and limiting their ability to accumulate wealth, particularly in terms of land ownership. Regular listeners to Tipperary's Hidden History know that at least once a year, I try to pay a visit to the children of late 1930s Ireland to hear their thoughts on the issues of the month. We do this through the Schools Collection, a rich database of first-hand accounts of primary school children gathered by the Irish Folklore Commission between 1937 and 1939. This month we hear their thoughts on the penal laws in Ireland. We begin at the primary school in Gurtain. This child writes, About a quarter of a mile from the village of Rathcabin, there is a field owned by a man named Mr. John Carroll. In the middle of this field, situated in a flat valley, there is a mass rock. The rock originally was three feet in height, two feet in length and one and a half feet in width, but it is now in two fragments. It was probably formed of limestone. On every side of this rock there are hills. When mass was being celebrated in the valley, sentries used to be posted on these hills watching for the redcoats. When they would see the soldiers coming, they would give signs to the priest and the people attending Mass so that they could escape in good time if the soldiers did happen to come. There is a clump of trees growing around the rock. Some of them appear to be very old, but others appear to have sprung up within the last century. There is one very old ivied tree hanging over the rock, and it seems as if it were there in the penal days, sheltering the priest while celebrating Mass. On the fringe of derry Lahan wood, you will see growing an evergreen bush about 16 feet in height. It is called the Priest's Bush. It is situated in the middle of derry Lahan bog. The bog is very lonely, and mass used to be celebrated under it in the penal days. It stands a mile or more from the public road. We are also told about another Priest's Bush, about a mile or so in from the main road from Burr to Borse This bush is growing on the land of Mr Doohan near his dwelling house. Mass was also celebrated under this bush in the penal times. The townland in which it is growing is called Shara about a quarter of a mile from Balloncar Cross. At the same time, there was a wicked Protestant living near the place called Walker. He got to know the time that the priest would be saying Mass, and he informed the Yeomanry. Those Yeomanry caught sight of the priest, unknown to him. There was no escape for him. They gave him an unmerciful beating, of which he subsequently died. In recent years, a curate of this parish called Father Spain got the Mass Rock removed to Laura Catholic Church. It is to be seen there to the present day. A child from Bursicane writes about three miles west of Bursicane there is a field in which there is a mass rock where mass was celebrated in the penal days it is reckoned that it was during the eighteenth century this rock was first put there The stone is greyish in colour with specks of red going through it and it shines like a diamond in the sun. The field where it is situated was an ideal one for such a purpose and enemies could be seen coming for miles around and great precautions were taken by scouts for the safety of the celebrant. I am also told that if the priest was unable to celebrate Mass, the people used to assemble around the rock where the rosary would be recited by the congregation. A child in Kilbarren writes, Long ago... When the English were in Ireland, the priests were afraid to say Mass. Some priests had secret places in which they said Mass. There is a place in the parish of Pocon called Ora, where a priest called Father Cleary used to go to say Mass. One day when Father Cleary was celebrating Mass on Ora Hill, there was a British ex-soldier at Mass. When Mass was over, the soldier, mad with lust for gold, hurried to the redcoats and sold the priest and quickly they were at his retreat, and they slew him." A child in Nina writes. This incident happened during the time of the penal days in Nina. The orange men put orange lilies across the streets, and the Catholics were compelled to bow before them. While this was going on between them, a Scotch regiment of cavalry was passing through the town, and the captain inquired what this was all about, and the Catholics told him that they had to bow to the lilies, or else the bell would not ring. So he drew his sword, and cut down the lilies, and went and rang the church bell. He stopped in Nina that night in a hotel. That evening he went for a walk out the Dublin road, and the orange men lay in ambush for him near the spout, and they came upon him and shot him. His name was Captain MacDonald, and he was buried at the old abbey, and you can still see his grave up to this day. We turn then to Goethe Garry, where a child writes that... There is a mass rock on the farm of Mr. Dunn, on which mass was often celebrated during the penal times. On one of those occasions when mass was being celebrated, a man named Mar was posted as one of the watchers. Because of his neglect, or possibly his betrayal, a number of soldiers were soon upon him without giving any warning of their approach. To them he betrayed the priest, who was killed on the rock where he had celebrated mass. To this day, The marks left by the blood of the priest can still be seen. During the penal times, a priest dressed in ordinary clothes used to visit a house in this part of the country very frequently. This day when he was in the house, he was playing with the children and one of them took his crucifix from his pocket without his knowledge. In a short time, the house was entered by soldiers who were priest-hunting. They searched the priest, but not discovering any religious object on his person, they let him off. When they were gone, the little girl brought back the crucifix which she had covered with a tiny dress and remarked to the priest, doesn't he look lovely in his new dress? Then he knew that it was the child who took and dressed the crucifix, believing it to be a doll. And that saved his life. A child in Bird Hill writes, about 200 years ago, there was a rich man living near Nina. He had one daughter named Mary and one brother named Nicholas. The rich man... ...got a mass said in his house. It was in the penal times and he invited his brother Nicholas to the mass. Nicholas told one of the soldiers that there was a mass going to be said in the house of his brother. He said he would mind the door and he told the soldier that if he came he would let him into the mass. Nicholas came on the day of the mass to mind the door. When he came to the house he started praising Mary would have been his niece, and saying she grew up a lot since he last saw her. Mary didn't like her uncle at all, because she had suspicion about him. He told Mary he was going to mind the door, and Mary said she would mind it. And so she did, while mass was going on. But he was also at the door. The soldier then let a shot to shoot Mary, but it was Nicholas he shot. The soldier went over to Nicholas and asked was the priest inside. Nicholas said he did not come at all. Then the soldier went away, and the priest came and heard Nicholas's confession, and he told the priest that this was the fourth priest he had spied upon and attempted to betray. A family by the name of Gleeson lived in Maroo in the county of Limerick about 200 years ago. They were big farmers at one time, but they got broken. These are the words of a child in the late 1930s. Mr. Gleeson had four daughters and he put one of the daughters out working. She was working with a man named Mr. Coffee, And he had two sons who were priests. The man's two sons were on the run, for it was in the penal days. Now, this girl knew where the priests were. She met the soldiers one day on the road, and they asked her did she know where the priests were. Now, there was probably some coercion here. She said she did, writes the child, that they were in a certain house about five miles away, and that they would be coming to a house in the neighbourhood the next day. The soldiers waited until the next day, and they caught one of the priests and hanged him outside his own door. His brother, the other priest escaped. A child from Gray writes some random but useful facts on the penal era in Ireland. A long time ago there was a church in the back of Comerford's house in Lower Shannacill. It is a mile from the school. There's no trace of the church now. There was another mud-walled church below in Harrington's Field, about a quarter of a mile from the school. There's an old graveyard near the church and one time a horse went down in one of the graves where a man was ploughing the field. There was a path to Calais in those days, and the priest used to go along it. He used to cross the river shore by a plank. One morning, when the priest was going to Calais, a wicked man had the plank removed so that he could not cross. He jumped the river, carrying the man that was going to serve mass for him across the other side. The most part of the Irish language remaining is Irish place names. In all parts of Ireland, the place names are Irish, Irish. Kill, Sha- Shan Kill means old church or old graveyard the old church and graveyard was in patrick harrington's lands traces of the graveyard are still to be seen the priests used to say mass in reeve's house in dramard long ago all the people used to go to confession and holy communion and finally return to clonmel where a child writes the locality abounds in mass paths no one can be stopped from walking a mass path in orchardstown clarehan there is a field on mr mandeville's farm called the chapel field the foundation stones of an old chapel or house then is still to be seen there as the field is situated in a lonely place mass is said to have been celebrated there in the penal days a man used to go up on a fence and call the people to mass by blowing a horn father o'neill Parish priest of New Chapel, Coleman and Clarehan, used to say Mass in Walsh's bog, Calusty, in the morning. Then he'd go to anoint people in Glenisgá, near Raheny, Carrigan shore, and return to Orchardstown in the evening to say Mass. He had liberty from the Pope to say Mass in the evening, and need not be fasting. Clash of prissoon, situated on William O'Hearn's land, Ballyreelish, whilst lifting sand in it, men were entombed. Mass also believed to be said there in the penal days. Mass was generally said in a particular house in a lonely district such as in Orchardstown mentioned above. And so, there you have it, listeners. In all its glory, the impressions held and the stories shared by the children of late 1930s Tipperary of the so-called penal days in Ireland. You can hear the words of the parents and grandparents all over those tales as they were passed down through the generations. All of the themes are there. You had the ban in public masses. Catholics were forbidden from openly celebrating mass in public, which, if broken, was met with harsh penalties. And this led, of course, to the secret celebration, where Catholics responded to these prohibitions with the clandestine or secret celebrations of mass. These illegal masses were often held in remote or hidden locations, such as private homes, secluded areas, or even in the open countryside, to avoid detection by the authorities. There was the ever-present risk of persecution, whereby Catholic clergy faced arrest, imprisonment, and sometimes, as we saw there, even death, if caught violating the laws. Despite these dangers, priests and devout Catholics were determined to maintain their religious practices in the face of persecution. We also heard mention of the dreaded priest-hunters. The British authorities employed individuals known as priest hunters to track down and capture Catholic clergy. These hunters were tasked with enforcing the penal laws and suppressing illegal Catholic religious activities, including the celebration of Mass. Underpinning all this oppression was the resilience of the Catholic community. Despite the threats and challenges, the Catholic community in Ireland displayed resilience and determination in preserving their religious traditions. The illegal celebration of mass became a symbol of resistance against religious persecution and the faithful continued to practice their religion in secret. As we now know, this was something that went on to be an enormous source of pride as it emerged from Ireland's, and indeed Tipperary's, hidden history.
0: That's Dr. Conor Reedy with this month's uh, episode of Tipperary's Hidden History. And uh, don't forget, if you want to hear uh, many, many uh, episodes of that, all you have to do is go on to tipperaryshiddenhistory.com and all of the various um, episodes are there for you. We'll take a break
5: back with more. It matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007.
0: For this week's Women in Business, we look at the hospitality sector and to one tipperary woman who saw a gap in the market and uh, is now advising other people on how to develop their own businesses. Well, our reporter, Ali, travelled to Ballyduff near Thurles to meet the incredible B Hayes.
26: B. Hi, Alison. How are you? You're Great very welcome. You. Thank you very much. <laughs> this You're welcome is to the granary.
10: Amazing. Oh, thanks, amazing. Alison. Amazing. The granary. Absolutely, yeah. I, tell me, I mean, I can see the amount of work that has gone into this.
26: When did it become a thing in your head that you were going to develop this? Yeah, I suppose about 10 years ago. Um, I married Eamon, of course, 31 years ago in September, and I moved up here to Ballyduff. And, um, of course, there was animals here in this building at that time and uh, over the years then Eamon um, you know did more buildings down the farm and uh, moved the animals down and this became vacant so and it was a lovely building so it was a shame just to leave it idle so um, I remember one day I went out to Lockmore from work I worked as a practice nurse in Tharlis for many years and I met Mary Fogarty and I said to Mary. Um, never, I never met Mary. It was my first time meeting her, but um, and I told her about my plan, and uh, she said, "Just go ahead, Bee." She said, "Just go ahead. People would love um, to to stay in some somewhere like that. Yeah. Hotel rooms are they're all the same, really. Yeah. And, you know." And uh, she she. So I came home with a. Pep in my step. (laughs) And I said to the lads, we have to get going here. So, um, and this is the result, but really, it was a labour of love, Alison. An Mm. awful lot of work went into it. How long did it take? Well, I suppose we were kind of doing it in degrees, so over maybe an eight-year period, Mm. Yeah. So tell me what you have here then to offer for people. How many bedrooms? It's two bedrooms um, and each have their own suite. But it's a very spacious building, as you can see. Yeah. Um, so this was traditionally a cart house circa 1850. And um, so they were built of stone and had brick arch doorways, as you can see. Yeah. And this is where the ponies, horses and traps came in. And the slit windows, of course, then were for um, ventilation for the animals. And we were lucky here in that it's, it's two storeys. A lot of those traditional buildings were um, single storey, So the hay was kept upstairs and the grain. And in the bedroom up there, we'll go, we'll go up there in a minute, Alison. So there was a hole in the floor and the grain came down through the hole through a funnel, and um, the farmers then collected the grain in bags... Yeah. And uh, rolled it in and made it more digestible for the animals. So that's where it got its name. It's the called granary. Yeah, that's amazing. and I'm sure the history of it plays
10: a huge role in how it's advertised and how it, it's made attractive. I think to potential customers, doesn't it?
26: Yeah, I think it's um, you know it's on a working farm, and uh, they love a story. Yeah. They love the history of it. And yeah, they just they just love it. Yeah. So
10: tell me how it works then uh, in terms of accommodation. Is it through the website, through Booking, Airbnb? What is it?
26: Yeah, so our listings are, I'm a super host on Airbnb. Well done. <laughs> Booking.com and VRBO. A lot of Americans book through VRBO which is vacation rentals by homeowners and we're also listed on Unique Irish Homes as well. So that's where, that's where you can find us but but my son, Eddie, I have two sons, Eddie and Carl, and a daughter, Elaine, and um, he designed our website. And, of course, you can book through our own website and you don't have to pay the guests' fees. And you can see there's a virtual tour as well, so you can actually walk through the house and, you know, there's no yeah. surprises there. How long have you been running then as guest accommodation? So just since after COVID, um, June 21. You must have been very nervous when it started, were you? I I actually thought, you know, we're in the middle of Tipperary, in the middle of the countryside, and I said, who's going to see us, you know? But we're very accessible to the motorway as well. We're only about eight minutes from the Dublin Cork motorway. And um, i just blown away with visitors from Australia, America, uh, Kenya, um, Spain... Belgium, all over the place. And are they
10: all kind of looking for the same thing, to kind of see and come out and see real Ireland as
26: opposed to going into a hotel in a town which may not be authentic Ireland? Absolutely, and they're coming to a family as well and you can have as much or as little interaction, you just get, you you gauge the person when they come, but most people love that um, uh, connection with people, you know and, and just the Irish hospitality and I think Irish people are very hospitable, you know. They're they just have that great welcome, you know. So they just, you know, if somebody says to you, Come on in, the kettle is boiling, yeah. you know you're welcome, you know. And it's not about the tea or anything like that, it's just um the welcome. Yeah. You've had a few high profile guests here too, haven't <laughs> you? <laughs> Absolutely. It's just you never know who's going to come to the door. Um, one, one day we got um, a message from um, this, this man's girlfriend and said uh, he'd love to stay here, so that was fine. And uh, about 20 minutes before he arrived, he said, "Be," he said, I'm not really that important, he said, but there'll be an escort arriving. Oh. And I said, <laughs> I said, it's the, the lads now messing, playing tricks on me, which they're very well capable of doing. But um, So two Mercedes drove in and a chauffeur opened the door for a lady and um, a young man, and in he came. And he was absolutely, about 24, 25, in a track suit and a baseball cap turned... Backwards, the then, cool way, the cool way, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the mask. Now I wouldn't, I wouldn't recognise. Uh, you know, him in a fit. Yeah. But um, and the girlfriend came. So as it turns out, that was his assistant. But I thought it was his girlfriend. But he was absolutely. So his name was Fear, um, Hero Finds Tiffin, and his uncle is Ralph Finds, or I think he calls himself Rafe. Rafe, Rafe. Rafe is a Rafe. That's it, Rafe wow. Fiennes, yeah. So if Which, I remember correctly, Harry Potter. Absolutely. absolutely. English patient. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Wow. That's it. And so, Hero is his, is his nephew, and of course, he was in Harry Potter as well. Oh, and yeah, as Tom Riddle. Um, yeah, of course, I didn't know any of this, so that, it doesn't. It didn't matter. But five days later, I was tex- texting my son in Dublin, and um, I said. Uh, I said, uh, just telling them the news, what happened during the week. And he said... Um, I said his name is probably not here, of course. He was Googling. Yeah. And then he, he texts back and he said, um, I think he is... Quite popular. He's seven point seven million followers. Wow. <laughs> so um, You were saying I hope he posted pictures of the granary. <laughs> <laughs> oh he was absolutely actually I brought him, his girlfriend arrived afterwards and I brought them to Lochmore at the time. They the mine community cafe wasn't open at the time and they just loved it. They just wow. loved it. So it's just the kind of the peace and quiet. Yeah. And just meeting, you know, and the just the authenticity of absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah.
10: What would you say that I'm sure there's people listening going, "God, I have a shed outside now," and I think that would be prime for that kind of idea. What would you say to them? Because I'm sure, like you would have had at
26: the beginning, you had this great idea, but it's very daunting. It is really, you know, um, and how to get started. Yeah. So, I've offer. I'm offering. A, I have a consultation. Business just started, and um, because I'm getting emails from people to know how to get started. So, um, because you want you want to start off on a high note, yeah. you don't want to get a bad review. True, maybe no fault of your own, but just to. Um, so, how to get started, where to look for help. Um, of course, we registered with uh, Fall to, Ireland, Fall to Ireland as well. And so, how to maintain your five-star reviews. And also, my, my son, we'd offer a service where he would design the website do um, a virtual tour as well and digital business cards as well. So I'd be only delighted if people contacted me if they wanted help to get started. Be it's incredible that this
10: idea to convert a shed has led to not only a business in guest accommodation but a a business in consultancy as well. I mean, do you ever kind of look back and go, "Cheapers, I've come far.
26: Yeah, I suppose it's, it's just you know, it's it's really a kind of a dream come true for us, really, you know, and the joy that it's after bringing us, you know, to have visitors coming from all over the world. And I, will I tell you another little story? Yeah. yeah. So we, we got, we had a visitor from America, North Carolina, um, Stephen, Stephen Trundle, and he told me he had a great connection with Lismore Castle and he wanted to stay somewhere nearby. And so as it turns out, um, his grandmother, Laura Trundle, lived in um, Lismore Estate because her father, Edmund, um, w- looked after the estate for, for the Duke of Devonshire for 45 years and she was reared on the estate. And she wrote a book called Memories of an Irish Girlhood. And, of course, Stephen gave me the book. And it's just beautiful, you know. And, and I just had an email from him, Last night, scene, he's after getting his... Um, an Irish citizen now. And, uh, do you know, so it's just fabulous listening yeah. to those stories. And then we brought them to the monks on a Wednesday night, and they love that, mm. the traditional Irish music and engaging with people. And, and uh, we met a friend of ours, and he's a kind of a great storyteller. Yeah. And, uh, he introduced himself, and he said to them then, chatting away, and he said, What are you doing tomorrow? And they said you know, Americans have such an itinerary. Yeah. Do you know, and they hadn't time to answer. And he said, I collect tomorrow evening at five o'clock. And he brought them to the bog. Wow. You know, and they just loved it. Do you think that that's the future of hospitality in Ireland? That it's kind of people making kind of bespoke
10: holidays and bespoke accommodation?
26: Yeah, I think it's just connecting with people, you know, and um, I think that's the most important important thing. And just... You know treating people with with kindness do you know yeah. and my aim is to when they go home you know to be able to cherish the memories they had here in the granary and in Tipperary, mm. and the visit to ireland anyone who's looking
10: to make contact with you i suppose separately in terms of the guest accommodation but also as part of your consultancy work how can
26: they do that well, just my phone number, my phone number, my details are online. And of course, my email, which is behaysgranary at gmail.com. So it's very simple, B-E-E. And um, yeah, I'd only absolutely love to give advice. Tell me, what are the plans for the future? Just keep going as we are and um, just, just to do it as best we can you know and and um maybe roll out this consultancy business as well have your eye on any more buildings around that you're you're going to do up? (laughs) i'd love to i'd love to and of course now there's grants available you know for to do up traditional buildings um if they weren't lived in and so that's that's a massive help you know and you know if just thinking about it just just go and do it you know it's just the 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 joy and everything that it brings us to us is just amazing
0: that's a lovely piece there. B Hayes speaking to her own alley in lovely Ballyduff there near Thirlis. That's about it from me, Leanne, produced Ellie, supplied all of her content today. Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel and I'll talk to you tomorrow. You look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye.